Hey guys, welcome back to Rolling for Change. We took kind of a summer hiatus, mostly because there was just so much busyness in the summer. But the sad part of that is that we didn't get to bring you this wonderful interview with Peter Petrusha of Imagining Games about his amazing new game, Dream Chaser. Which means, unfortunately, that the Kickstarter, I think, is finished. Well, the Kickstarter was finished before we before we did the interview, but the Kickstarter is now starting to arrive for people. So now, at this point, when you go to Imagining Games, you're looking for an actual release date or something to that effect. But either way, uh, what we have here is an interview with Peter Petrusha about Dream Chaser, as well as our typical discussion of games we've been playing, news that we've been following... And uh, finally, for the first time ever, we have kind of a game show ending. You guys will have to let us know how this how this goes, how this feels. Uh, it's definitely a, a different thing. What you may have figured out is that I'm not an editor. I'm good at providing content, and I'm good at with coming up with ideas for our shows. But that doesn't necessarily mean that our editing job is flawless. So I'm I'm learning on the fly. If if you should want to get involved in editing and you want to donate your time to edit Rolling for Change, you feel free to contact us, uh, gamers at rollingforchange.com. Either way, I'm excited for this episode, and you'll be excited for this episode too. It's a little bit long, but the, the details and the the stuff we talk about is going to be very meaningful for you. So uh, thanks so much for, for listening to Rolling for Change, and I'll look forward to your feedback. Let's roll away. And welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris. I am cho- joined by my co-host, Josue Cardona. Hello. And Brian Peace. Hola. And we also have special guest Pete Petrusha with us of Imagining Games. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really, really glad to have you here. Uh, so for those who are listeners that are regular listeners, thank you. <laughs> Let me just say thank you <laughs> for, for, for sticking with us. We're going to try a new format today, so this is going to be... We're going to have spikes and all those wonderful things. We'll see how that goes. You guys tell us if you like it. <laughs> Rolling so, for change 2.0. That There we go. Yeah, 2.0. Uh, the upgrade. So I think we'll just start by talking about, you know, what's the recent stuff that's been on people's mind? What, what have you guys been doing? Josue, what's up? What have you been working on? Um... You know, podcasting, as usual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the usual... Um, How many podcasts are you in? Only four right now. Only four. Only four. Working towards five or six. Always. Always. (laughs) You had to reel it in a bit. I got you. You had to be a little more focused. I have to stop myself every day from making more. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I I visited my niece recently, and Uh it was her birthday, and it was pretty cool. She got a ticket to ride. There's a junior edition. It's for kids. yeah. And I thought that was so cool. And I, I almost instinctively said, wow, you guys finally have a good board game at your house. And, <laughs> and I think there was a grandmother that may have been insulted because she's given board games. And oh. I, think, I think she was a little offended. But, uh, but my, my niece was very excited. I told her it was a really good game. 
and <laughs> and we played uh, we played a game called Mancala. I don't know. I, I feel oh, like yeah, that's yeah. a pretty you yeah know, common game with the marbles. Yeah, the, yeah. And I used to play that board, a lot yeah. when I was a kid. And it was so funny because my niece was playing and she she learned new rules than what I used to play with. And and I, so I had to relearn to play this game that I used to play as a kid. And and it reminded me that I recently had a very similar experience when I played checkers with someone. Um, he He's from Belgium and we were playing. He wanted to play checkers. I was like, yeah, I know how to play. So we're playing. And then uh, once, uh, once I was kinged, you know, I'm playing normal. And then when he got kinged, mm-hmm. He started going all the way diagonal across the board, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" <laughs> I think whoa. That's a house rule. Well, well, I was like, so we got in a little argument, and he was like, "No, that's the way you play." And I was like, "Well, it's been a while. I'll take your word for it." And afterwards, I looked it up, and different countries have their own rules. So he was playing by European rules, and and I never played that way. So I, I've been thinking about that lately, about how you know p- playing games completely differently, um, and and not knowing any better sometimes. <laughs> We, we've talked when about you, this When before. you looked it up online... Go ahead. When you, looked at, when you looked into it, were there, like, formal rules for the game, like, in different countries? So, I believe uh, I, I ended up just looking at Wikipedia, so take that for what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> but it was... There were... I believe there were certain, like, the exceptions were there. So, it was like, in, in Europe, okay. this rule is different. And in this country, this rule was different. And I don't remember, you know, specifically which other rules there were. I just remember... Just remember feeling kind of, kind of mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know with checkers, my grandfather used to play. He said you've got to take your jump, and that was completely new to me too. That was he was very adamant. Like if he put a checker in front of mine that I could jump, I had to take a jump, and that would <laughs> set him up for all kinds of double jumps and triple jumps. And it was just amazing to watch him play because he was pretty brilliant at playing. Yeah, but I yeah. think there's probably, I think probably a lot of these classic games like checkers and dominoes and a lot of card games, probably there is a kind of a, um, a locality kind of part to it. You know, we talked about this before where different different uh, areas of the world have different ways of playing or using the accoutrements that are in front of you for a game. So, yeah. You really made me think too how frustrating it is when you play a game and you don't know the rules. Or like when rules pop up in the middle because people assume, oh, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like that. You're like, how was I supposed to know European rules? Just like, how was he supposed to know you didn't know European rules? Exactly. At that, at, that, at that point, we were halfway through the game, you know, and I had already been kinged for yeah. a while before he was. So, oh, it was. <laughs> and you could have won, Hostway. I actually. So, so true story. I did win the game, which was even I felt even better at the end because I switched rules halfway through still one. And then was still right afterwards when I looked it up because because I I was playing by the you know I wasn't making up my rules. <laughs> well, it's the same thing I've noticed with um, I, I think I may have mentioned this before in another episode, but Monopoly. Uh huh. Americans have their own you know house rules, and a lot yeah. of um, people who I've met from other countries who'd never played Monopoly before get hold of their first copy of Monopoly and not having the American little standard house rules like, you know, money goes in the middle. And um, if you if you land on free parking, you get a big influx of cash and all that. People from other countries pick up this game 
they actually read the rules, which is something very few Americans actually do because they know someone who knows someone someone who's played the game and they just teach them how to play. And we they play, play Ameritrash Monopoly here. Yeah. And, and <laughs> people from the country are like, really? It takes you like three or four hours to play this game? It shouldn't. No, we've never taken us longer than an hour or two tops <laughs> to play the game. And then they start That's playing. That's kind of the like, litmus test, too. do the um, auctioning? And Americans are like, auctioning? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> you said you knew how to play I got to tell you, I didn't even know that was a rule for forever. Right. Like, we never auctioned anything ever my whole childhood. And then one day it was like, what do you mean there's an auction thing? Oh, you're supposed to auction things? Oh, when you land on them, you're supposed to auction everything that you land on, so it makes the game cold cooker. Yeah. Well, I always played four or five hour games of Monopoly, yep. so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just well, pe- with Unfortunately, for how long it takes the game. People are convinced. <laughs> oh that my the, god! The yeah, you can't. I can't even talk up. about that game because I have one friend who loves it, and uh, we have notoriously long games, uh, like twelve hour games. Whoa. Um, and we meet people, and they go. Yeah, dude, you, that's a four or five hour game. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, that's impossible. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. It's a four or five hour game. And I'm like, the, the shortest game we've ever played was nine hours. And it was basically like a heat seeker as in one person ran through everyone else. Because, Well, and this is why the guy who owns the game, the longer the game goes, you know, you should have more of an idea of your strategy and what's going mm-hmm. on. But he's still playing chess and his turns get longer and longer and longer. <laughs> <laughs> because he's trying to see moves By in hour advance. Eight, yeah, by hour eight, he's got like half hour turns going on. And we're like, dude, there's seven of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's dangerous. We only play on his birthday. <laughs> and that's because his wife makes us. <laughs> okay. So, Brian, what have you been doing? What have you been playing? Um, our, our last month, um, since the last episode, I've, I've got to play Medici. Which I okay. typically have—I've never actually played the physical copy before. I've only ever played on my phone or my iPad, so it was—it was nice to get to play it in person. I still got my butt kicked like I usually do on my phone, but you know, hey. Can got, we talk about what Medici is? Yeah, for those it's, people who um, don't know? it's kind of a weird auctioning game where you're not so much trying to um, get good so much as you're trying to increase their value and become the highest person on that scale okay it's it's so this is economic or this is control or it's um it's a it's a set collection game yeah where you're trying to collect sets of goods but you're trying to have the most influence in that market so to speak okay if you're in first or second place you're good you're going to get a lot of points if you're anything below that, not so many points. So you don't want to try to get a little bit of everything. Like a lot of games, you're trying to do a little bit of everything. This one, you have to specialize a lot. Okay. Um, so on each of your turn, you're going to turn up three cards for the players to bid on. Mm-hmm. Um, up to three cards. And of course, if you, you can only have five cards in your boat, unless you okay. expand your boat somehow. But in, in your on your player board, you can only have five cards per round. So if someone, another player turns up three cards and you only have two slots left, you're out of the bidding for that round. Congratulations. Um, so there's a bit of strategy there too, mm-hmm. but every round it'll start off with the player, to, the player who flips up the cards player to their left makes the first bid and everybody makes a bid around the player turns the cards up 
gets to make the final bid. They can either say, take it, or I'm going to outbid everyone. And it's a once around thing. Okay. Once the last player either bids or passes, it goes to the next player who turns up one, two, or three more cards. Then they bid on them. Once everybody has their tableau full of cards, you resolve. And you do that enough rounds for, I think, one round for each player, if I'm not mistaken. It's been, it's been a couple of weeks since I played it. Mm-hmm. But after, after that's over, you look at um, how much influence you have in each good. And you get points for whoever has the most of that. Um, and at the end of the game, you just get your points together. I'm not describing it very well, but um, like I said, I've only played the game once. Sure. And it's been years since I played it on my iPad. The one that really got to me, though, was finally we got to play Pandemic Legacy again. Yes. Um, for the second time, mm-hmm. we got our butts stomped at <laughs> zero hour. We, we, we were, were so one, close. We were one round from winning in July. Woody had everything together to win the game for us. It just had to make it to his turn. But I didn't have another turn coming. <laughs> they didn't make it to his turn. It was so sad. And then August came and we were triumphant. And the beauty of this game, we discussed it afterward, is that the way the legacy theme is set up, um, without spoiling too much, there are many missions that you take within the overall game. And even in July, even though we lost in July we still won the mini mission. So we got to push the story forward. Yes. Yeah. So, that's, that's one of the nice things about uh, pandemic legacy is, you know, you're, you're, you're moving forward with a narrative and the story continues to grow and, and you're really invested by the time you get to like August, which is where we're at now. So it's a lot riding on whether or not you're going to make it. But the nice thing is these, these catch up mechanics that happen so that losers don't feel like losers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not much of a spoiler because it says it right there on the box, but there's one box that you get that it says clearly on top of it whenever you open the main box. If you lose four games in a row, open this box. And we've only ever lost two games in a row. There's a part of me. What, you want to lose four games? Wants to lose four games <laughs> just so I can find this stupid box. But then there's lose a part four of games to get a present. I really don't I don't really enjoy losing this game, and I try my hardest every time. But I still want to know what's in that box. I think it's probably an electroshock therapy generator. Yeah. So you know, most likely if we get through the entire game and don't lose four in a row and the game's over, I'm opening that box. Just to let you know, I'm opening the box. I, I can't not do it. It's just like in um, in um, Risk Legacy, there's that card packet at the bottom that says, do not open this ever. Couldn't not open it. I'm baby Groot with the button on the right. I can't not press it. I really want to press that button. I guess whatever's in that box can't be worse than what's already in the game, right? It's probably like well, you unlock Jack Bauer or something like that, and he helps you out. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that if you lose four games in a row, open this box. This is the you're pathetic and need lots and lots of help box. Right, yeah. you open it and a superhero pops out and he's going to help you solve the, the problem that you're having with this terrible CODA virus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was in that game yeah, too but- and that was, uh, you know, I, I guess if my check-in is more about like emotional moments in games, which is that... So yesterday we were playing this pandemic game and we lost that July game and I just, I put my whole acting skill into it. I just went, ah! 
I can't believe we lost. I pounded on the table. I was, <laughs> I acted like a baby. It was awesome because my wife thought I was really, really actually upset. Um, and I just kind of poured myself into the character. Um, but then also over the weekend, we played, uh, we played Iron Gods, which uh, Brian and I are involved in a long, it's been a two, almost a two-year campaign now yeah. in Pathfinder. Iron Gods, which is a Pathfinder game. And basically the game is set in a universe where uh, these uh, alien artifacts or ships have landed or crashed onto the planet thousands hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years ago right i think thousands of years yeah thousands of years ago so th the generations have grown up with this technology hanging around and now we're, we're starting to learn how to use the technology starting to learn how to well some of us are and the other people are really luddite and trying to stay away from the technology woody is our baby Groot. he likes to press the buttons I do like to press the buttons. Uh, I play a character called Bertram, who is a a very technologically fetishistic gnome who does like to push the buttons. Uh, but uh, I guess the emotional moments... Well, it wasn't so much an emotional moment. It's just the thing that I was being caught by, and I'm, I'm glad we're going to talk about role-playing games in a little while here. The thing I was being caught by was... When you take on this role in a game, so I'm Bertram and I'm trying to, I'm trying my best to be a good role player. I'm trying to disguise my voice and 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 be really good with this. Brian's our DM and he is uh, also doing some voices. His voices are of this kind of luddite little area, and he's got these kind of country <laughs> accent voices going on. And Bertram's kind of like this. He's kind of, he's kind of nasally and and he's kind of. Uh, annoying for the most part but then brian starts doing this uh starts doing this country voice and and bertram starts to do kind of a, an annoying country accented bertram and uh the, the guy next to me is like uh have you noticed that your 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 accent is slipping it was just I, I was just realizing okay it's just so easy to get caught up in what's going on in the game and actually i i think there was some sense in my mind that bertram was trying to be uh, connective with the people there, but he kind of carried the voice further than he meant to. So, fortunately, he has a high diplomacy, so they were not offended. Yeah, nobody <laughs> took his Bertram's changes. You know, Aw, Bertram's a social chameleon. No, How no, cute. it's good. It's it. That, that's exactly <laughs> Bertram is. Uh, there's one part therapist in him somewhere, right? He's yeah. <laughs> he's doing his best to be. So really, uh, Bertram has a really high uh, um, diplomacy skill. Yeah, but Bertram doesn't say the right words to have a high diplomacy skill. <laughs> yeah, but with a high diplomacy skill, instead of coming across like a jerk, like some characters I could mention in the game, um, <laughs> Bertram comes across like, "Oh, he's cute. He don't know no better." That's pretty bless much his, it. God bless his heart. Or thank God they don't notice what a pain in the butt I am because, yeah. They just think you're so adorable. Yes, yes. But I, I just love yeah, these moments. Either of you, Go ahead. Have either of you played Numenera? I'm just curious on the comparison between those two games. No, I Like the Pathfinder, yet. Alien I've, Gods. I've been wanting to get a copy of that and check it out, but I've, I've heard a lot about it, but I've never actually played it, no. Sure, okay. Yeah, that's uh, this is my first time playing uh, Pathfinder. Besides uh, a big thing that I played at Gen Con, which was really cool, when it's like hundred different people playing the same scenario at one time, that was really cool. Yeah, this sure, pa yeah. Pathfinder is basically D and D three point seven five. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Really, it's it's a it's an evolution of D and D three point five. Um, they bought the license to the D twenty system whenever you know they decided to take D and D in another direction. 
But this particular world in Pathfinder, this is just one area called Numeria where a spaceship crashed 10,000, you know, crashed like a thousand years ago. Oh, uh, so it's in their like their their traditional setting of I think it was a like Glorantha, yeah, yeah. and I think it's something else. Yeah, it's it's in I got you. Okay, so it's an area. Though. Okay, that's cool though. I, I and I love that Woody's first experience is something that's like a, a little bit of a twist on the traditional RPG setting. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I that's played fine. RPGs when I was a kid, but this, uh, you know, going into a campaign as an adult, this is the first time I've done that, and it's it's been very exciting and a lot of fun. We have a great group, I think. Um. That's awesome. Yeah. How many players, if I can? What do we have? Four? There are five. There five, are five of characters. us all together? Five. five, yeah. Yeah, five player characters, which means I have to okay. scale the adventure that's built for four players to five characters, which is kind of fun yeah. for me. Actually, no, we have four characters. <laughs> so it's myself and Susie, Susie, my wife, and then uh, Luke, Chuck, Chuck and Martin. Luke. And then you Martin. are... Martin. Oh, Martin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right, right. <laughs> I think you forgot about him because he wasn't there couple weeks ago yeah i think that's that's what happened there okay uh so pete what about you what have you been playing what's been exciting for you oh okay um yeah unfortunately you know being a content creator i I pour my heart and soul into my product constantly but um you know some of the games i do like like i've played machi koro that's a great little game i don't know if you talked about that before it's a it's a card game where uh, each each person is trying to meet a few different objectives um, by building a town yeah. in each kind of like there's all like 12 different cards that can be played and these strategies kind of pop up for you to try to find success with but it's neat because i mean it is really one of those games you could put down the table people who've never played it before you could play the game in a half hour mm-hmm. and then the second game you could play in 15 minutes because there's not a whole lot of explaining it kind of explains itself so i do love games like that that just fit right into whatever you're doing and if you have a casual player with you who doesn't play any of these games they're like Oh, okay. Well, what's this? Oh, all right. Oh, wow. I'm kind of into this. Oh, it's over? Can we play again? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a cool experience. Yeah, it's a good entry level. Um, it, it, it's basically an engine building game with a lot of take that to it. And I think that uh, in, in my gaming group, it seems like uh, the take that aspect kind of makes it lose its flavor. But uh, it it certainly has some good moments. <laughs> Yeah, I like my wife. Uh, she she picks on me because she's like, "Don't let him get any goat farms." Because <laughs> you know, I start to get in character and I start being like, "I'm gonna make the cheese, the rules of the world." And she's like, you know, she starts dreading if I'm rolling my sevens or whatever I need to like make those fire off because I have like a stack of five of them. <laughs> she's like, "No, he's doing it again. Every turn he's making forty gold." And then sometimes I won't let the game end. You know, like I'll choose not to win. So, so you just drag it out. That, that's just because it's my wife, and that's fun for me, you know. But of course. <laughs> she still plays. Of course, <laughs> you got to know when you when to quit, though. You know, don't take it too far. Then she won't play yeah, anymore. Yeah, just poke just a little, and then step back, and don't don't yeah. continue to poke. I, I think we all do that to some extent. Yeah. Now uh, on the RPG front, which is most of what I try to spend my time sure. doing, um, I did get to play a game. I was at PangoCon over the weekend. I, I ran games. We had a a great showing, so I never got away from running games. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was at HoosierCon, which is a play on Hoosiers, like Indiana, mm-hmm. but it's Who's Your Con, <laughs> um, and that was in Indianapolis. And uh, I got to play a couple games. I always strive for the indie uh-huh. games because I have played for so many years, and I've played most of the big names, you know. But like, uh, I'm always trying to like find, hey, what what are they doing over there, and what's this? And there's a guy named Derek Knudsen, 
and he's local to uh, so the St. Louis area. He's uh, he's friends with the Fear the Boot guys, and he made a little game called the Universal Storytelling System. Uh, I bought a copy at Fear the Con a couple years ago. I never got to play it, so I finally ran into him. We got to got to run play the game, and we had this uh, really fun game that kind of right out the gate opened the door for like funny sort of gender pushing, sexual pushing. Uh, role-playing experience that kind of like said, hey, this game is adult-themed and we will go there, <laughs> but it was cool because the game did set it from the get-go because a lot of times in a con, a one-shot, you don't know anyone, so you're never going to get to that point of like, hey, we're comfortable with another, but it really became this big icebreaker because people were just being off the wall, ridiculous, with like one was an alien who had obviously alien genetic parts, uh, uh, genital parts and, <laughs> you know, and that just started the, the theme because every character sheet at the top says, I am this gender, and I'm attracted to this gender. And just by putting that in a character sheet, it really opened this game up to a different avenue than, you know, anything else that never talks about that. So I was a little off-put at first because that's not usually my go-to. Right. I was like, well, that's interesting. But it really did make for a, an icebreaker right off the bat that opened us up to have this sort of, you know, rolling good time in a three-hour con game or something. So Awesome. What is, what is the name of that one again? That's called Universal Storytelling System. It's a game that uh, does also use cards. Like it's got playing deck plus a little bit of dice. Okay. I believe maybe maybe it was just the cards. Um, you know, you get a hand for certain mm-hmm. things. But yeah, you could look that up online. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, you, I, I believe you can buy copies direct. So Universal Storytelling System, uh, USS for short, and his name was Derek Newton with a K. Okay. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's one I'm going to have to look into. So uh, our first uh, news article uh, was a article that was posted. Was it The Guardian? It's The Guardian, right? The Rise yeah. and Rise of Tabletop Gaming. Yes. <laughs> have, you, have you seen this article, Pete? No, but I, I like anything that starts with a headline like that. <laughs> Just tell me that it's actually the article is about that. It is. If that's clickbait. I'm going to be upset. Uh, no, it, it wasn't clickbait. Uh, it was. Uh, it was a, a reasonably good article about uh, kind of the rise of board gaming cafes, uh, mostly nice. mostly in Europe. Like uh, they were talking about uh, a couple of board game cafes that were opened up in in I think England. And they were saying that they were, of course, kind of following the footsteps of Snakes and Lattes from Canada. And uh, the, the shop was opened by two social workers, which I thought was really awesome. Um, that is awesome. Let me get back to the article here so that I'm not just kind of spouting nonsense here. I am so jealous, though. I, I do hear these things all the time about like how open and uh, inviting like the European market is for tabletop games because they, they carry none of the stigma mm-hmm. in our culture in the United States through school and socialization so often can be so, you know, we're, we're can be very fearful of putting ourselves out there and being vulnerable. So like I, I try to talk to people who are Australian or people in England and be like, you don't know, you, you have a really great thing going on there because everyone is like, hey, this is just really cool. And, you know, like they, they don't look at it like it's a weird or nerd or odd thing to do, whether it's board games or, you know, card games or role playing games, especially like I hear about people playing at the pubs all the time. And that's growing here, but it's it's definitely been a thing that's just been there for a long time. So, yeah. Uh, what, what's it like in New York, Josue? Uh, you can do anything in New York and nobody will look at you. <laughs> <like you're> weird. <laughs> people LARPing in the streets. Pretty much. Yeah. 
they look like they're LARPing. You don't know if they are or not. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the gaming scene here, I think in, in the States in general, it's, there's, there's a lot going on. Like, it's, get, it's definitely getting better. We're, I, I see that, yeah. that contrast, too, with other countries. But they're just, just the idea of, um, I mean, a few years ago, I remember I interviewed a place in Chicago that was opening in. The place was designed, like the tables were designed a particular way for, for tabletop gaming. And the acoustics were designed a particular way so that, you know, it wasn't overwhelmingly loud. So you could actually play a game, but still be a bar. And, you know, that kind of thinking is, cool. is, is awesome. And I've been to pinball bars and arcade bars and things like that. So I think, you know, a lot of that is, is it's changing. I mean, I, I see it changing, you know, over the years. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's an awesome time to be alive right now if you like tabletop. Oh, yeah. It is, because we've seen a huge influx of, I mean, not only are board game companies building, I mean... I don't know. It was a couple of years ago. I was listening to a Dice Tower episode, and they were saying, you know, do you think it's going to bottom out next year? Do you think next year we're going to hit our plateau? And it still hasn't been hit. We're The, the hobby is yeah. still growing. Uh, board game cafes are opening all over the place. We've got a, a few here in Georgia now. And uh, it, it's with the help of Will Wheaton and people like that, we're starting to see kind of a, mm-hmm. a renaissance of board gaming, probably the likes of which we haven't seen since like uh, – maybe the 80s, 90s when uh, Catan started coming out. But even then, we, we weren't really building like we are now. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I mean, not only um, are there, you know, luminaries, so to speak, celebrities like uh, Will Wheaton getting in on things, but the actual um, board game reviewers on on um, YouTube, like um, Tom Vassell, mm-hmm. um, Rado. Um, watch it played they're starting to come around from people with home video cameras walking around with you know motion sickness and all that trying to videotape <laughs> everything on a the, the built-in mic to actually having a professional setup yeah and it, it's making the hobby look less like a bunch of nerds walking around with a video camera to professional level people actually providing a product and the idea that the 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 bringing together of Kickstarter and Patreon and other ways of crowdsourcing the money, um, and the increase in technology, where just about anybody who can get up enough money to get the equipment can become a professional reviewer. Yeah, and actually, I mean, a few of them actually make their living doing this—just reviewing games, playing games, and reviewing them. Not many people, but the fact that it, yeah. the fact that the hobby is to the level where a there are people who make their living just playing and reviewing games, and that they have a professional enough setup that they can look like they're you know. Their production, they have a decent production level. It makes it all look very attractive. Yeah. It looks professional. It looks like people who know what they're doing, as opposed to, like I said, stuff from the early days of YouTube where you have a bunch of people running around with really, really crummy equipment and kind of not really knowing what they're doing and <laughs> sounding like nerds droning on. I've, I've read, I've seen a few older reviews where you have somebody who's trying to explain the game and they're showing this and this and this and they're telling every single rule of the game and it takes 18 hours <laughs> to get through the rules 
<laughs> there is a self-feeding yeah. aspect to this now, which is, you know, now that we as I think the Internet has brought us all kind of closer together as gamers, as yeah. uh, as geeks, whatever. And yeah. there is this side of things where we are feeding into let's make them more professional. So it's kind of self-growing. So, that, you know, Kickstarters come out, uh, GoFundMes and, and Patreons and that kind of thing fund these guys to get more to get better equipment to get a better show you know so we're constantly building each other up on either side it's just kind of an upswing altogether i think yeah people are able to find like their their niche niche communities you know and then that brings all the eyes and we can focus those eyes on one thing at a time like you know this podcast or that article or this content creator and that's really cool because then those people are getting enough out of it that they're saying hey i could really step this up and do even more with this or before, you know, all of these things were just obscure, you know, and now the Internet's at that point where we're all finding uh, what we need to find. And, you know, uh, whether that's the podcast or a game or it, it's a cool time. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. And that that's where Geek Therapy came from was just this kind of influx of people starting to get more involved and and build the culture. I really hope this is a wave and we are like just on the cusp because like to me, it just makes so much sense. And it's here, and I feel like it's a it's an indie movement that we just all happen to be a part of right now, you know. And that's really cool. Um, I think that people are, you know, there's this renaissance period, right? So everyone's thinking about, oh my god, everything is great, you know, like fund this, buy that, look at these games. But like, we can do more, and uh, and easily, like it's not even difficult to do more. And I think that's really cool because that's the kind of discussion we're having here, yeah. And that groups like this are promoting, you know, like hey. You can do more, and it's not even with like much effort. Just think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you already have the tools here. Like you can, yeah. I always draw and parallels this. to the to the video games, right? And when you see that industry, and you see the the enthusiast media that grew around it, but also the academic media that grew around it. So now we have academics talking about tabletop games and academics and clinicians using them and talking about how to use them in therapy. And we're talking, you know, there's education experts talking about how to use them um, in the classroom. And I mean, this show is about the emotional and transformative experiences that we have while we're playing. You know, like we're, we're going so niche and, and there's, a, there's a space for all of us and we're all talking to each other, like you said. Um, like I just, I just started listening to a, to a tabletop um, like a campaign being played on a podcast. And there are many of those now, you know? Yes. So we have the, the range yeah. of, of content that we have available um, is incredible. And again, like I always draw the parallels to, to video games because video games just, there's, it's bigger. It's a bigger industry. But there are so many things that feed back to each other. You know, so a lot of people who are playing video games now, they want something different. And Tabletop has so many great things to offer. And the media stuff is just going in the same direction. It's great. I, like, yeah, like you said, Pete, like it's, it's a great time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, the good parallel there is, you know, video gamers and app gamers, you know, if they start associating games with being gamers, they're like, well, what other games are there to play? You know, and especially I like, too, the, the parallel that, you know, us video gamers who grew up with Nintendo and Atari and, you know, to Sega Genesis mm -hmm. and Super, you know, on and on and on, you know, we're becoming parents or we are parents. So guess what? We, that's also another thing where we're like, man, these tabletop games are also awesome because, like, we want our kids and other people and spend time. Let's take that in piece by piece. We want our kids to not be connected all the time or not always be on their phones or not always be just passively absorbing the media that's put on them. We also want to spend quality time with our friends and family. 
that sometimes like if you're watching a movie it's like everyone's on their phones you're like is anybody watching this movie or is it just me because i feel like everyone else is multitasking and this is it's just a cool thing that the the video game thing is making more people associating their lives with gaming and then hopefully crossing over to tabletop as they see the benefits yeah, I, I think it's falling to both sides. Like the the ones they're benefiting each other, which is really a strange thing because a lot of people who were looking at video games as the future of gaming were saying that the tabletop games were going to fall away. But in fact, what we see is that people are making board games about video games. I have uh, yeah. I have the portal <laughs> game sitting here on my shelf, and I haven't even got to play it yet. But uh, I know that there was one done for. Uh, uh, what was it? Dark Souls? Is that the one? Dark yeah. Souls 3? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, there's one coming out fairly soon that is related to, uh, I think, uh, it's not. maybe it's World of Warcraft. I can't remember what it was, but uh, it's just interesting to see how, how they're both feeding into one another right now. You know, so one thing, host, one thing yeah, that I, I know a good one interesting too. is that, you know, like I mentioned earlier about the different rules, um, when you play a video game, I, I, I've gone, like, there's, like, this rubber band effect where I thought, wow, like, video games let me imagine things that I could never imagine before. And now, the more I explore tabletop gaming, I see, wow, video games are really limited, you know? So I can have a tabletop game and sure. change the rules. I can't do that in a video game, with the exception of, like, modding yeah. and things like that. But, you know, we could make our own game, you know? We could alter the rules. I mean, obviously, we have a, a, a game creator here with us, right, who's <laughs> creating his own game. Right. But, I mean, we could take Dream Chaser and just, like, yeah. you know, make our own rules if we wanted, you know, at some point. And nobody, not exactly. even you, Pete, can stop us, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> there's, there's no other media that allows us to do that. And I think, you know, things like Game of Thrones, people love fantasy. Like, what? What is more interactive and engaging than a fantasy uh, RPG then, right? Or if you like sci-fi genre. Like yeah. th- now we, we have so many different options now to play. And I'm glad that we can have that conversation about, well, you know, we could play this game and make our own story. And that's, that's amazing that we're having those conversations. It, you just touched on it too. Like, I mean, we are so inundated with good stories. Like, I mean, whether it's TV or novels or video games or movies, like we are all story experts. Because we were just being, we're consuming them, yeah. you know, 24 hours yeah. a day, especially if you're in therapy, like you're hearing the good and the bad, you know, but um, like we are seriously story experts. And sometimes we play a game like a video game, like now when you, 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 you get into that, that spot and you're like, okay, I kind of know what's going to happen because I see where you're putting me and what the path is taking us to. And then I'm going to have one of these three choices. But then when you get a role playing game uh, and like you said, like you like Game of Thrones, while you're watching that show, you're already getting into the characters. You're like, what if Tyrion did this? Mm-hmm. What would happen if Jon Snow did that? And then you get into the role-playing game environment. You're like, wait, I could be Jon Snow? <laughs> and I could do this? You know, we could have an alternate history of what happened? And we could all sit around geeking out about it? I mean, like, that's probably the greatest news to somebody out there who's never heard of a role-playing exactly. game. You know, like, we could play Game of Thrones? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Right, so this gets... This, this kind of connects with the next article I have here, which I, I think is more important to uh, to the discussion that we had with Autumn uh, a couple of weeks ago, or actually I guess it's about four weeks ago now, I was right. Uh, the, you know, 
So if you guys didn't listen to the show, uh, Hostway and Autumn were really ragging me on using the ungame in my therapy sessions. And so here we have another game that is specifically built for a very specific therapy purpose. The, the game is called Shop Talk. And Shop Talk is a game that helps children who have cancer to deal with their feelings about cancer. That's, that's a pretty heavy topic. And I don't know... You know, this is a, a running discussion between you and I, Josue, as to whether or not this is whether or not games need to be specific to a therapy kind of uh, environment. Because in this case, you're very specifically asking questions related to cancer, related to fears of yeah. cancer, related. You know, the questions in the game are are geared towards helping the children or whoever has cancer to open up and talk about their experience of cancer. Uh, so what did you think, Josue? Well, again, th that sounds to me like a tool, not necessarily a game. And I hate to get into those conversations about, well, what is a game? And this is not a game. And this is a game. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think, I don't think that those, those conversations help anyone. But, you know, if you make something that's so specific, I mean, right, like, so I've been talking for years about how I can use popular media, things that, that my clients already like to talk about the things that are going on in their lives. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe something like that would be more useful than, I don't know, if we're talking about cancer, maybe, you know, I would use the character of Deadpool, for example, right? Who, who dealt with cancer in the movie, and that's a big part of his character. But, sure. but not everyone has, has that type of uh, um, mindset, you know, and not everyone has mm -hmm. that type of story readily av available. So I see, I see how that could be helpful and useful, but calling it a game, I think, like, is it fun for the, for, for the people who are doing it? I don't think so, you know? I mean, ugh, yeah. I mean, th so there are games about cancer that are actually fun. What was the name uh, of the, the game? The name of the game is Shop Talk. Shop Talk. You see, that's funny because obviously that name sounds, it's like an ironic name. Yeah. Like, Shop Talk, but it's a game about, like, curing cancer or dealing with cancer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's not exactly shop talk or water cooler talk, or but I, I don't know the game, so maybe that's exactly what they're going for. And I can't imagine the marketing. Yeah. <laughs> like just the thought of this game right now, the marketing would be a nightmare because yeah. you have some great things and you have some horrible things. <laughs> so apparently there is a Fighting. field of psycho oncology, which is something I didn't even know existed. But th these are therapists who deal with medical problems, basically. And so the the game is very specifically uh, aimed at. Uh, doctors and therapists who might want to use this in their in their setting for uh, helping kids deal with with cancer. Um, so what they did was I don't know if people I, I think people are buying this because it is on a website that you can go and buy it at. But uh, the idea is basically uh, the kids are it's a roll and move game, which eh, that kind of loses some some flavor for me right there. But uh, the idea is that the kids go to various shops in the mall, and each shop in the mall has a, a set of questions that relates to something about them. So if they go to like a fashion shop or a, a clothing shop, then it's more about how they see themselves and how they would like others to see them kind of thing. And so if you go to each shop in that mall, you get a token for each question that you answer. And once you get a token from each shop, you win the game, basically. Um, so 62% uh, used Shop Talk in their clinical practice, uh, and 48 didn't. Um, and only only 77% wow. of those who had not used the game felt it was inappropriate for their patients. And there were some inappropriate things, maybe, because 
I, I watched a video. The, the people who made the, the game did a video to kind of explain to uh, the users how to use the game. And they talked about stacking the deck of cards. And they talked about um, setting things up so it matches the client that's in front of you. And that all makes sense to me. But I think it, it falls into what Josue is saying where he's saying, you know, this is, an, this is more of a tool than a game. And yeah, I, I get the idea of not wanting to talk about what a game is versus a tool. But did they enjoy it? The kids were asking whether or not they could take the game home. That's to great. play with their families. And the, 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 the therapist had to say no because this really needs to be done in a therapeutic environment. Um, but it does get into the question, you know, <laughs> is it okay to create a therapy game or is there a way to make a therapy game? I, you know, Deadpool is a perfect example sure. this way of how we can bring geek culture to a discussion about cancer or any other you know there's there's probably lots of characters who have various challenges that we can point them to rather than using a game like this but well the discussion of whether it's a game or not falls it as a parent i will tell you falls in the category of shut up and play my my, <laughs> my daughter um, when she would have a really bad headache, we'd give her a chewable aspirin. She would not take anything that was called medicine. So we gave her headache candy. Reframing. It is not candy, <laughs> but it made it palatable to her. This thing, while we as game enthusiasts might say, well, it's less of a game and more of an activity, shut up and play. If, 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 if it makes it palatable to someone who's in pain to make them less in pain and make them enjoy the experience, it's a game. That's Period. fair. Period. That's fair. End of story. Okay. And we, it sounds like the intentions are amazing. So, I mean, and obviously I love that you already have data about like how it was used. That's fantastic. I, I, you, you, just, I, you don't even have to sell me on the game. Obviously, I'm going to buy copies. I just want to see what they did. Yeah. But uh, that, and, that, and I support that, that kind of movement. I mean, that's fantastic. Like at least that their aims were in that direction, you know. That I want to support the people who are designing things like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely better that the alternative, if the alternative is just basic talk therapy, like two people sitting, staring at each other, right? And and right. That's why is it a, if it's a tool and if if you see that there's some efficacy, then then why not, right? But then a, a therapist that actually has a gaming library and maybe, again, like has those resources readily available and, and already has that mindset is a completely different story. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why I always have mixed feelings about these things. But I'm, I'm, I'm with Brian. Like, if it's better than the alternative, if it'll get them to talk about it, then – and it works, then it works. Yeah, one copy for I everybody. Mean, there are, yeah, there are a lot of situations where a more subtle approach might be asked for, like um, – like we've mentioned before with the cooperative games, taking a cooperative game and playing out the family dynamic by seeing who's going to be the bossier one and who's going to do the opposite of what someone else says just because they said to do it. And you can get that to come out in a subtle way rather than sitting mm -hmm. down and straight up talking about it. This game sounds like it's somewhere in the middle. It's overtly trying to it's wearing on its face what it wants you to do. I want you to talk about this, but we're going to do it in a in a, in a different framework. And there's some people who don't want to do that. That's not going to work for them. They just want to sit and talk. And there are some people who need it even more subtle than that. And it's just one in a toolbox of tools that you use depending on the person you're dealing with, depending on how much subtlety or bluntness they need themselves. 
That makes sense, you know. And the thing is that they were saying that this is used more as a rapport building tool for mm -hmm. the kids that they're talking to because kids are more likely to open up if they are in the midst of a play situation as opposed to like a direct, like Jose was saying, a direct talk therapy kind of situation, you know. These questions, and you can organize them so, and this is where I kind of get in with Josue, it's not really a game because you're organizing the questions to match the need. It's it's no longer, it, there's a script going on basically. Wow, yeah, that's a good point. You know, so I'm, I'm going to ask this child a question about how he feels about being bald, but at the same time, their next question is, what's your favorite movie of all time and what movie helps you to deal with pain? It, Th those kind of things, they're set up, and so it's no longer a game because there's no longer mm. really competition going on. The end result of the game is, yes, let's help these kids and let's let's make sure that we can get them to open up about their feelings. But ultimately, is it a game? The therapist – this is a question I have. Can the therapist play a game with a child or with a client and still be competing with them and at the same time making a therapeutic impact? Okay, let me let me, let me me ask you a question to answer that question. Okay. Is it important that the therapist is playing a game? Say or is that it again. important is it important that the therapist is playing the game as a straight up game or is it important that the therapist is creating the illusion of a game for it, the benefit? It doesn't matter if it's a game or not. I mean you're thinking gamerly wise. Sure, yeah, yeah. Are yeah. both people actually competing? Yeah. Stacking the deck is fine. I played um uh, uh Candyland. Yeah. With my children yeah. when they were little. Yeah. I didn't want that game to go on forever. <laughs> um, so I stacked the deck. But I played it because it was an enjoyable way for them to learn their colors. Yes. So and to follow you're rules. darn right I stacked the freaking deck. But we were playing a game. As far as my children were concerned, we were playing a game. And as far as my children were concerned, they won. But I would kind of set it up so they would win. Because... I had an end goal in mind, and it was not to play Candyland. I swear to God, it wasn't to play Candyland. I had better things to do with my time, like trim my nails, pick my nose hairs, <laughs> anything. But it had a, it had a purpose, and for them, it was playing a game. And it's what framework are you trying to create? Are you trying to play a game with your with your client, or are you trying to play? Are you trying to do some therapy with them? They don't want to do therapy. They want to play. Yes. So you're setting up a situation where there's the illusion of a game. And stacking the deck, you are doing your client a favor by giving them the illusion of a game that they could potentially win or lose. But they don't need to know that there's no actual game going on that you have an ulterior motive. Right. So here's the deal. From their perspective, it's a game. Right. From our perspective, it's a tool. Right. And so there's kind of a double-sided edge to it so that... You know, for them, they are having an enjoyable experience and they feel they're in kind of an altered reality in the sense that they are playing a different game than we are playing as therapists or as educator, whoever's on the other side of the board, mm -hmm. because we've stacked the deck. We already know what's going to happen. We're already set for this. We already are ready with our own responses. They, they have entered what um, what specialists have called the magic circle. The magic circle is the is the arena that we enter into when we play a game. Yes. That way I can do something god-awful horrible to you and we'll still shake hands after the game and be friends. But if I did if I stabbed you in the back like that in real life, you have a hard you'd be hard-pressed to forgive me for it. But the things we do in a game, we're in that magic circle where we're in an altered reality yeah. where it's okay for me to stab you in the back cuz that's part of the world we're creating in that moment. And within so, that circle, it's okay. But if I'm out in the real world and I stab you in the back and cause you actual 
discomfort, metaphorically, but okay, All then right. you're not going to forgive me as easily if I do something horrible to you in real life. So I'll, 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 yeah, I'll add oh, just one more anecdote um, to that is that uh, my girlfriend created a game. It was a, it was a roll and move game designed to address um, sexual abuse um, to help families talk about it with their kids. So she play tested it a whole bunch of places, and finally I play tested it with my five year old niece. And to her, like like Brian is saying, she loved the game. The, it had a story. There the family. We were each a different character. Um, she wanted to. She wanted the family to reach the beach, which is the the point of the game. And she answered these questions along the way, very similar to 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 what Shop to, uh, Shop, Shop Talk, Talk sounds like. Yeah, and we had a theme song, and it was great, and it was she loved <laughs> it. And and in, and I've used games many ways, uh, in many different ways. To kind of manipulate the situation. I mean, that's the word that kept coming mm-hmm. to mind, right? Sure. And you can get away with that a couple times. And you can get away with that depending on their age. And you can get away with that, um, you know, only only so so much. And you know, if you're using it for rapport building, if it's getting that job done, I think, I think you know, it's it's it, there's no good or bad. You know, if it's working, then it's working. Um, but these things they they don't work forever. You know, it's like what we're playing this game again. <laughs> Why are we doing that again? Are there more questions? Is there an expansion? Like, wh- wh- what's going on? You know, um, there's th- there's a lot that goes into it, and I think, again, uh, we all know games, so we can we talk about it in many different ways. But probably a lot of the people who who tested the game and that research, they probably didn't play games or were absolutely not at all used to using games in a clinical setting or being encouraged to. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 There's. Uh... You know, this is not a game you're going to play. So that's one thing that falls outside of the normal, our gamerly game kind of thinking. You're not going to play this more than two or three times probably because by that time, the questions are exhausted. Even if the children, the the patients, whoever they are, are are adding their own questions and the clinicians are adding their own questions, it's still going to eventually have an end to it, you know. Um, So it just opens some nice discussion, I think, about the, the role of games. So I'll, I'll quickly read the conclusion here uh, just to the paper that I read about Shop Talk. Um, basically, uh, Shop Talk is currently the only known therapeutic game available for children and adolescents living with cancer. The results suggest that Shop Talk is a fun, interactive, and effective tool, tool <laughs> to explore several psychosocial domains throughout the course of illness, encourage rapport building between the patient and the clinician, and assist with directing communication in family and group settings. Uh, respondents also expressed interest in a version of Shop Talk for children who have a parent with cancer and as a bereavement tool. Shop Talk has now been requested in most major cancer cities centers in the USA and in 14 countries. Programs and wow. clinicians interested in learning more about Shop Talk or wishing to obtain a copy of the game can go to pediatrics.cancer.gov. We'll put the link on our show notes. We'll get some show notes on. <laughs> what? It was a it was a dot gov website. Yeah, it's a uh, pediatrics.cancer.gov. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, to, to purchase the game. That's oh, I guess they didn't say purchase, right? They said if you'd like to get a copy. Yeah, if you'd like to obtain a copy of the game. That's an interesting website use. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, that that's. Yeah, it may be public research. Especially like get sh- yeah, get shop talk at pediatrics.cancer.gov or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it was like. I wouldn't. That wouldn't be where I'd go for it. But at the same point, if that's where you're telling me to go, well, and I guess it's definitely you know it's not going to be something you're going to find it on the shelf at Target. So, yeah, 
I gotcha. Even with their current tabletop fascination that they're pushing. All right. So let's move on to talking about Dream Chaser. Yes, a game of destiny. A game of destiny. I'm I'm really excited about this game, Pete. Can you can you tell us That's about awesome, this game? Man. Of course I can. You have the best possible person to tell you about this game. Because <laughs> you're the creator. Um, right? Yeah, so that's a funny part right off the bat is that I call the Dream Chaser a game of destiny because what what's the first thing anyone who plays games does? Like, well, what's your game about? It's a game of destiny. There you go. Um, now, the idea is it, it really is a game that kind of mirrors – I shouldn't say mirrors life, but it's about journeys, you know, wherever stories take you. And the thing that it does that's very interesting is that Dream Chaser is a game where the players create a goal for the game. What is their dream? What is our story about? And they do that in a sort of vague three to five word short sentence thing. And that gives us the box to build everything else. So it is a game that kind of adapts to the players. Mm -hmm. And it tries to give them what we always promise with role playing games. And that's, you know, you can be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. And a lot of times what we do when we say that to people is then we sit them down and we say, okay, start doing this homework. And I meant you could be whoever you want to be as long as you're one of these nine classes and you have one of these three alignments and you're one of these six races. And we kind of end up saying, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. No, you can't actually be that. No, you can't live there. No, you can't, you know, our story's here and it's cool as long as it's in a dungeon. You know, we start boxing them in in a way that's like, this isn't me getting to be whoever I want to be or expressing what I want to do. So I tried to make a game that hopefully does more of that. Okay. Uh, I got to look at a little bit of it. Um, it's It seems like it's a very sort of sandbox kind of approach to role-playing games. And you can kind of go it, in any direction you want to to create your yeah, character. Let me, to create let me give story. you a handful of dreams just to kind of help you and the audience also like start to put this together. Because if you – you kind of need that focal point sometimes. Sure. Like – these are games that happened, right? So, like, survive a deserted island, mm-hmm. uh, prove a good man innocent. Um, you know, here's Indiana Jones, right? Find the lost ark. <laughs> um, a lot of movies, like Rescue Private Ryan, you could grab any movie and be like, "Well, what was this movie about?" It was about becoming a Jedi, and that's kind of what we're doing. Is in a lot of ways, we are kind of saying, "Well, if this was a movie, what's it about?" Oh, cool. And then the players are kind of getting more invested into what we're making here while being proactive and imaginative. And they're like, well, cool. This is a movie about, you know, getting a criminal to help you do the impossible, Ella, you know, The Rock, mm-hmm. right? It's like, then who do you want to be? And then one person goes, well, I sure as hell want to be that criminal, that guy who knows the ins and outs of Alcatraz and gets us in. And then another person's like, well, I want to be the guy who's on the inside who has this, I'm a military leader. And then this other person is like, well, I'm a scientist. I want to make a cure. And then suddenly we have the rock, which is like there's this antidote and there's this military sort of coup thing happening and the guy who knows the ins and outs. And it's all kind of built on the, the basis, which was like, what was our story? It was get a criminal to help you do the impossible. And then once they make those roles that they wanted and then they start talking about what they want to do with those roles, we build like that sort of teaser trailer of what this movie looks like. Like there's the uh, one minute spot before you actually go see the movie. Okay. The big thing is, is that what I like about it that takes us back to the, you know, the wheelhouse we're here in is it is a game that is about setting goals and achieving them. Yes. 
the game can be about anything you want. I just talked a lot about movies. But, like, let's say you're a kid who's, like, everyone's trying to tell you what you need to do when you grow up. And you're like, well, I want to be a rock star. And then you could be like, okay, that could be the story, the goal of our game. Or that could also be like, well, why do you want to be a rock star? Oh, because I want to go on tour. That could be the goal of our game. Who do I want to play? I want to be the rock star. All right, cool. What do you want to get out of that story? I want to start a band. And what's cool is just those little pieces, you gave the game master, in this case the guide, enough to build you a story that you want to play and you're invested in. But it can be anything you want, whether you want something fantasy, fiction, sci-fi, or if you want something kind of closer to home or, or more, you know, uh, serious. Um, obviously, some people want to be painters. Maybe you became a lawyer because you never thought you'd make any money painting. But then you'd like to live in a fictional game of experiencing what maybe life would have been like as a painter. Maybe if you would have made a masterpiece or been a New York Times bestseller. Uh, you could also be that parent who says, well, son, after the Rockstar game, you're going to learn what it's like to be a lawyer. <laughs> you know, but, you know, but it's kind of a cool tool in that way that it can be whatever fits the group. And I hope in a, a therapeutic sense, it could also be something that helps people kind of explore whatever maybe they need to explore. Because the player and the game master create these goals that we're both working to get the story there. So there is like an unspoken agreement of, well, it's a spoken agreement. But like then the character who you can associate or disassociate with, um, we know where that story is eventually going to get to. It may not take the shame or shape or form that we maybe anticipated um, because there's still that whole journey of how did we actually get there? What actually happened along the way where the dice come in and the improv and the story and maybe the game master's prep or, you know, the other players. But Okay. Um, you, uh, the, the reason that I found you was because I think you posted in the, uh, the RPG grow group, I think. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I sure did. you, you seem like you had this kind of vision that this could be something that would fit into, uh, maybe a helping profession or, or helping people to better see themselves. So, you know, I, I'm going back a little bit to our shop talk talk because I'm wondering if there's a way that we can take this, you know, we're talking about the difference in game and tool. I wonder if we can take this and make it that same game without the roll and move aspect with more of a aspect of opening up. Um, it, it feels like, you know, so my goal is I want to live a normal life and that could be your kind of your, your dream that you're chasing throughout the game. And then you have these goals along sure. the way. So I, I see a lot of potential for this. It, it you know, open-ended role-playing is really, it's amazing to me because you're right. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. And there are some other kind of open-ended role-playing game systems out there. Is there something that makes yours stand out from those? The big part is the goal setting, right? We, one, we don't use a setting, mm -hmm. which is interesting too because a lot of games, they sell you on a setting. They say, hey, come be a Jedi, you know, hey, come be a 40s pulp, you know, <laughs> uh, professor that goes and explores archaeology, you know, digs or mounds or ancient burial grounds. Hey, stop a serial killer, you know, be this is a crime story, investigation story or like um, what I try to do is throw it back on the players, because a lot of times, especially in role playing games, like we don't ever have that talk of like, um, hey, us as a group, we should probably talk about what we actually want to get out of this game. We should probably talk about what kind of story we're interested in. 
we should probably talk about how long this game will be. Mm-hmm. Like how many times mm-hmm. are we going to play? And and we don't necessarily do that. And one of the big reasons we don't do it is because it's not in the rules. The game doesn't make us do it. And unfortunately, the thing that's funny about it to me is that no one else has done that in this way. That like they my my game had that opportunity. Then in a lot of ways, I'm kind of making you just have a good quality discussion like session zero. Um, and in the same breath, making a game that like no one has to research or do read the rules for. When the when the first guy, the guy who's going to run the game or guide the game, uh, reads the book, the other players sit down and they have a good time, like because they basically collaboratively imagine and brainstorm. And nobody opens a book. No one needs to know the rules. They follow along on a character sheet, and they all just start spitting stuff at each other. And then it is a game that has a little crunch in the way that, like, you do have a character sheet with statistics mm-hmm. and different things. Like, you have strategies that can be, whether it's your skills, your abilities, your powers, your ro- robot arm. Um, I do a cool twist that it's not just, like, your typical, like, hey, cool, roll strategy plus roll your mind or, you know, whatever. Instead, one of the things is that Whatever strategy you use to succeed in the game, you know, it's kind of like your way to succeed at life. I look at it like, you know, a a carpenter looks at like every problem is like a nail that needs to be hit with a hammer. Mm -hmm. Um, In this game, if one of your strategies is to be a mooch, you know, your lens of how you try to succeed in this game is by how do I make being a mooch or my mooch tendencies work for me? And one of the things that happens there is it always goes through the filter of am I using this in an imaginative sort of way or am I straight up just being a mooch? Like it's a reasoned use. I've practiced this. I've done this a million times. I put myself right in this situation where that guy has a little bit of a guilt trip. He likes me and I need the money and everyone around me is like, why don't you help him? That's a reasonable use of my mooch Mm -hmm. skill. But then if I have to try to like persuade you to go help another person, uh, spend your money, like help another beggar. I'm like, well, I kind of understand what I would do to make it happen to me. So that's a stretch. So it's an imaginative use of my mooching ability. Mm-hmm. So I'm also trying to get players in the mindset of their characters. And hopefully that gives them more of an immersive experience. Um, and everything, every time you fail, um, we challenge your failures against what it is you tried to make as a character. Like if you said my character's cunning, when you fail at something and you tell me, Pete, well, my character would have done this, this, and this because he's cunning. I go, you're right. Why don't we re-roll that die and see if you then succeed? So it is something that also supports, like, again, you trying to play the character you imagine in your head. Mm-hmm. The mechanics try to reinforce that if you are a funny character, you shouldn't always be unfunny. Uh, you still can because the dice rule, but at the same point, you can. And I also wanted that there are moments that in the game the players can enact their belief this uh, sort of campaign mechanic that grows as we get closer to the, the grand goal at the end. It kind of rewards all of us for playing the game and hitting these milestones. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really talk about the kind of the little goals that make up our story. Um, the belief mechanic also gives people the opportunity. So, you know, if you're that guy who can't roll worth a damn and then you need this moment, like in your head, this is the moment where your character has redemption or succeeds or stands up for himself. You can then burn your belief to buy that moment or help influence the game and be like, no, 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 this has to happen. Okay. So there's also strategy in the use of like some people use that to occasionally, you know, pick themselves up. And some people will hold it till they build up to the ability of being like, no, Pete, this scene's mine. This is what I do in this scene. And this is what happens to those people because I've been pooling this up to get to this defining moment. And if this is my movie right now, this is when I'm going to put the cards on the table and be like, this is my moment where my character is awesome. 
And and then you do that, and if your die roll fails, how do you as the DM take care of that? They burn belief. They burn they belief. They burn belief. Okay. Yeah, they build it up as they go. So in the beginning, you start out as an average person um, at like a number of four. All the numbers in the game are on a one to ten scale. Mm-hmm. I also wanted something that was very approachable, something that was very understandable. And we all live in scales of like one to ten or ten percent, you know, hundred hundred percent, like a percentile thing. That's something that's very relatable. You know, you know it through academics, you know it through school. You, people can count the one to ten on their fingers. You know, um, and one of the things we do is I try to promote the philosophy. Um, for better or worse, that, you know, each person has all the potential they need. It's just a matter of can they use it when they need to? Can they live up to the moments that they, they see? And one of the ways we do that is you roll under your statistics. Mm-hmm. So there's no rising difficulty numbers. There's no like, okay, well, this is a abstract 30 difficulty. We're not doing math like plus one, plus three, plus six from this. It's just can you, oh, can you live up to your potential? Intention is thrown in by challenging successes and sometimes challenging failures and making people re-roll after they succeed or after they fail, which is kind of cool, too, is the player. You're like, but I just succeeded and you're making me re-roll. And then they re-roll and they're like, I got it. But these things all have to be justified. So the, everything always moves the story forward. Even the roll system is meant you roll two 10-sided dice. You have to roll under two different numbers. And if you get – you might get two successes. Cool. Whatever you visualized with that character – happens all right you've got two failures whatever you visualized went horribly wrong it didn't just like you just didn't oh you didn't pick the lock no 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 you either broke the lock and the guy on the other side of the door is the guy you didn't want to run into he's there and you have a broken key in your hand or you know something else that would horribly happen but we also have this cool middling thing where like you rolled one success and you rolled one failure so it's kind of like you succeeded but there's a catch Uh. And then there's the critical version of all three of these, which is also great. Like, I love when it's like, all right, some critical moment happens. You roll a critical success and a critical failure at the same time, which is doubles. Anytime you roll doubles, it's a critical version of whatever happens. But since you have two numbers that you're, you're weighing against, you can have it where you're like, hey, I rolled two fours, but one was successful and one wasn't. And now it's the the best of times, worst of times. It's the monkey's paw. Yeah. And I usually like to throw that stuff out to him. Like, hey, guys, you rolled a perfect success in this way. What's the absolute best thing that could happen right now? And then at the same time, when you fail and the other guys all look at me and we see the roll, we go, all right, guys, what's the absolute worst thing that could happen to this character right now? So the players determine what happens then. You just say there's a bad thing that happened and you have to come up with what that bad thing is. They don't have to. I, I recommend it because what I'm trying to do also is me being a longtime game master and, you know, I've studied hundreds of games and whatever. And, you know, all the years, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're really interested in a hobby, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, you're, you're deep in. And I, I wanted to make a game that also fits today's needs, like a game where adults could play it when they need to, when they have time and in a, in a digestible manner. And in a game that doesn't require commitment of indefinitely which a lot of role-playing games kind of do, and then they never complete or never get to an end or a goal. Um, so what I like to think in that case, when there is a perfect, I recommend that you throw it out. You can still go with what you want, but gather that information because you know usually four or five heads is better than one. What I thought may not be as cool as what everyone else thought, and when everyone else gets excited about one thing, you know that's the answer. Okay. On that on that note of uh, like everybody being excited, um, I, I want you to explain the the dream map idea. 
because every oh, everyone sure. has a dream, right? And and so is is everybody following their dream? Is one dream the the end of the story? And and how does the game master kind of put all that together to, to form that narrative? For sure. I wish I could give you the, the visual display because it makes it so much easier when you're at the table. But yeah, I talked a little bit about it, so I'll try to piece this together quickly, which is I do like I, the premium version has a fold-out board. I also like the visual aid. You know, when you're at a game store or you're with people and they go, hey, what are they playing? And there is that lure, too, that a lot of board gamers feel like board gaming and role-playing is two different camps. You can't be – we're tabletop games. I, I want to see crossover. Mm -hmm. I want people to play whatever's interesting to them, mm -hmm. whatever's fun. So it is a way to kind of invite people because they can kind of see the building process. And what the, all the, the dream map is is the players – it's a process for how to get the players to create a goal for the game. We usually do that on a note card. Everyone writes one, and then they vote. They choose on what game we're going to actually play. What's the story of our game? So, uh, Josue, like you said, the, the goal is a mutual goal. So, given back to that idea that it is our game. It's not your game. It's your game if it's one player, but, you know, otherwise it's our game. And then each person, after we then vote and choose which one's the goal of our game, our story, like, uh, here's another one, Be the Hero Gotham Needs. <laughs> <laughs> so... Then people, once they have that to work with, better than a setting, it starts getting people to brainstorm. Like, okay, if the story's about be the hero Gotham needs, who do you want to be? Someone spits out, I want to be the mayor. And I'm like, okay, well, let's give that two or three words instead of just one, because that gets people away from archetypes or just professions. Mm. I'm the lousy mayor. Okay, well, I kind of know who that is. And someone's like, well, if he's the lousy mayor, then I'm that second-in-command deputy mayor that's the go-getter and gets stuff done. So I'm the go-getter deputy mayor. And then the third person's like, well, somebody's got to be the hero. So maybe they take that in a funny way where they're like, hey, I am the uh, janitor at the mayor's office, the unlikely hero. Uh, and then maybe someone is either a villain or a hero. But you know, then each person kind of talks about what their role is. Everyone hears that in just the two or three words. They say, okay, well, now that I've heard that, maybe people change their mind or whatever. And then they each get to pick at least one experience they want to have with their character in our story, right? A lot of times when you play role-playing games, nobody ever asks that either. Okay, so you sometimes get robbed of the moments you want. Like, hey, we were supposed to do a crime investigation today because we're playing um, like Trails of Cthulhu and... I made this guy who's a paranormal investigator because, well, in my head, I was always going to be the guy who found out there was aliens. And then the game ends and there was no aliens and we never talked about it. And I feel kind of like, well, gypped, like there was never any aliens and I never found it. And I, my character's got these skills about alien information and, and you know, Area 52 or whatever. Um, so each person gets to not only say, they, first they get to offer up an idea for the goal of the game. Then they get to pick out a role in our game. And then they get to pick at least one experience they want to have in our story once they know what the goal of it is and who's in it. And those become like the chapters or the story beats to how we get to the end goal. So that's the really kind of cool thing of how it all ties in. And we use the dream map to do that where they then become a sequence like, OK, well, so and so wanted to open an ice cream business and so and so wanted to uh, you know hit it off with their uh, potential spouse and so and so wanted to. Uh, you know, make it big or hit the get the hidden score, or whatever. And these become the chapters that eventually tell help us tell that grand story of you know become the hero that Gotham needs. So it's a very interesting concept in the way that there is some session zero, 
and then we lay it out. The players always know what they're working towards. You never have that, I'm sitting down today's session, I don't even know what we're trying to do today. Um, it gives players a lot of agency and a lot of chances to express themselves and influence the story. Um, so it's not just another game where you, you come, you sit down, the Game Master pre-planned everything. Uh, it takes a lot of that stress off the Game Master because it's unfortunate that a lot of us, you know, we're dreading the next game. <laughs> we're kind of hoping it gets canceled because we're like, God, I just want to prep some more. I didn't prep enough. Or, you know, I, I got held up late at work and I needed to stand out one more NPC. So I really tried to also make a game that this can be played on the fly. I love that people won't necessarily be like, the next time they're at the game shop, well, our role-playing game didn't work out, so I guess we could grab a board game. Like, I hate when I hear that is the response. Like, I love board games. I just don't want you to, like, settle. Right. Like, go play a board game you love board games. Like, you want to really play, like, Zolkin. Don't be like, oh, God, well, we can't role-play because, you know, so-and-so's not here or we don't have that game. Uh, or we didn't plan or prepare or set the date or schedule. Like, you'll be able to go walk over to the, the game library on the shelf, Graham Dream Chaser off the, the box set, off the wall, pop it down, let's, let's role-play for a couple hours. As long as somebody read it. I mean, again, it's still a role-playing game. Somebody had to read the rules. You, know, you can't really do that with most board games either. You know? but, no, there are times you have sorry to sit if down I, and take two hours or something just to try to explain the rules to each other. So, I, I occasionally you know, run into somebody and they're like, hey, I played that new Game of Thrones board game. Well, we were going to. <laughs> but the two hours spent was me reading the rules and not understanding it because I don't play these kinds of games. And then I was so frustrated I never understood it. We didn't play, but, you know. That, uh, it happens with a lot of games. You know? They're not all Monopoly. Even Monopoly had that problem to some degree back in the day. So, Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like the... Oh, so wait, did I answer your question? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I am very passionate about my game, obviously, so I, I did give you the, the long-winded story response, but... No, absolutely, yeah, because I, I, I love the idea of everybody coming together to pick that goal. And, and the framing of it, right, I think is, is really... Like something that, that we could probably talk about for like another two hours because the idea of yeah. it's not a goal that you're setting, right? It's like it's a dream. And I think about like I, I, I'm actually curious about this. Like how, how often have you played the game and had someone because you're saying, you know, write down a dream, they're not playing sure. a character yet. It's more like they're they're being personal about it. They're actually sharing a real dream instead of the character's dream because you, I guess you're not at that part yet, right? I had a really no, no, no. I've run ah maybe 80 games at okay. this point, so I've run a lot of games. I'm a big believer in playtesting. Uh, I I did a lot of public playtesting. Yeah. You know, a lot of people too. Like their playtest group is like 10 or 30 people. So you know, I, I definitely played a little bit before I took it convention to convention. And then play with strangers, you know, and then you're trying to like, hey, can I get a whole group of kids? <laughs> like, hey, you guys, do you play role playing games? No. Awesome. Let's play. Uh, yeah. You know, oh, this is your grandma. Let's play together. <laughs> like 15 year old and then, you know, grandma. And that happens more than you think. But um, so, yeah, so that's really cool. But to answer your question was like one of the best experiences for me is I love the duality. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously the reason I'm here is because I think games can do more. And I'm hoping that I made a game that is relatable enough to life and just general storytelling that people can don't, they're not like, Oh shit. Well, I don't know the rules for Pathfinder. Oh, well I'm not going to read that, you know, 300 page double column tome. I, I don't know what a fighter is. You know, the, the, the barrier for entry, hopefully I've made achievable, you know, in a more trade uh, digest size book with 
visual aids and mostly fueled by your imagination and uh, character creation that's fun and enjoyable. Like people adore it. They're like, hey, dude, I can do this all day. And that for me was scary because at first I was like, I got to get this down to like 10 minutes because people hate making characters. But people are really having fun because it's just collaborative and brainstorming, you know, and they're playing off of each yeah. other. But sorry, long winded. The second game I ran outside with strangers were two guys who run a business together. Um, and they have all these grand dreams. You know, they want to make a, a multimedia empire. Um, they, you know, I'm obviously I'm going to keep names and everything out of it. But I, I believe they're both single dads. And it was very interesting and heartwarming in that way. But they, you know, looked at this like they wanted a book. They want a card game. They want like a universe that could spawn movies and a TV show. You know, they wanted it all. And it was neat because one was kind of the business-minded guy and one was the creative guy. And they sat down and they wrote their names on the top of their character sheet because they were playing themselves. And they their goals were some of the things that were serious to them. The, the, the dream, I'll never forget because it was awesome. Um, it was a little more specific than I tried to go for, but it's fine. You know, every you know, you're a game master or a guide. You mentioned earlier, people are going to play how they're going to play. But they said, I want to be thanked on the street by someone I inspired. And I was like that. And, you know, I, I knew what that meant, especially as we explored it more through character creation. Like, I don't have to ask these questions. Then we go into who you want to be and what you want to get out of the story. And then they start making their characters. And in that process, I realized what that meant. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't have to explore and be like, explain that. Tell me why you want. No, I didn't need to. The process brought that out. But one of them, one of their their milestones of their character, this was a small game of two people. So they both got two milestones. That's one of the ways you can make it a longer game is you can make each one of these a session or maybe a couple pop in one session. But, um, you know, everyone gets at least one. But in this game, they both got two. One of them was like, I want to have that moment. He called it his gel moment. He wanted that aha moment, mm. that moment when all of these multimedia things click. So the cool thing is what's awesome in fiction and stories is that I don't have to tell you how that happens or, you know, make you actually have that moment. I just kind of get we get to the story part where we roll the dice and we get you close to it. And you kind of imagine what that would feel like for yourself, and you kind of vicariously have that experience of like, oh, wow. Because the coolest thing was this moment in the game was like him sitting on the couch and brainstorming. I think he had like a robot companion that he was talking to because that's like who he pours <laughs> his soul into because the robot will never betray him. And we, you know, we set this thing up in the game. Anything that can be adversarial is a challenge whether it's a monster fight, acing a math test, getting, you know, the boy or girl to go out and date with you, whatever, because any anything can be a challenge to you, depending on who you are and what you're dealing with and what's important to you. So in this case, the challenge kind of ended up being like, okay, we don't know as human beings what the answer is for your gel moment, but we, as a story, know how many turns we're going to take. And each turn, we're going to throw more into it of how we're getting there. And then your character is going to have that moment and you're going to experience what happens next? And it was so cool for his business partner to look at him and see him take charge of his character's life because he's like, well, my character had his gel moment. He has his vision now. He knows what that means. So I go back and I'm like, this is what we need to do. And this is what, and you know, there's some roles that happen. And it's like, but his character had the clear vision now from it, which is so cool as a, to see another player have that experience. Even if it's not actually that, you know, life experience, it's pretty close. It's something similar. And he got to feel that reward. So, 
when you said that. And the other guy, the business partner, had a cool moment that he was. I didn't know he wanted to be a composer in real life. So they, so another goal was about the movie and stuff. And one of the goals at the end was like, I want to compose a song on the soundtrack. So it was cool how the story kind of ended was like him getting his moment to put that one thing on the score. And he had he was playing on the piano. And we're just kind of talking about it. It's just kind of a neat thing, like thrown in that story. And then, of course, the epilogue is, you know, you skip after that moment finishes. And then it's like, all right. And then, hey, 50 years later, where would you be? Where would you be? And they, or 20 years later, whatever it was. And then we made sure the dream moment happens. But the story was really about pursuing those milestones that built this grand story around the goal of the game, which was... I want to be thanked for inspiring someone with my works. Uh, and that was a really cool thing, especially for me, because that's the, the thing that I, everyone likes slaying dragons or, you know, finding treasure hordes or, you know, kissing the princess or whatever. But it was really cool because I think games could do that too, is that like, you could be like, hey, dude, you're on stage because your milestone was, I want to be adored by a thousand fans, you know, by, I want to have adoring fans you know, praise me while I'm on stage singing my song, you know, and then it's like, we can get that moment. And we know is the game, the guide or the game master, I know that's important to you. So we make sure that we definitely go into the, the feels and the details of it when that hits, because that's a defining moment for your character and our story. So that that's cool. You that's know? So awesome. And I think that's right. You're trying to, in a way, that's a part of the whole process is you're equipping the guide or the game master so that they're not, one, second-guessing themselves, and they also know what you want and what's important to you. And hopefully, you return the favor by being really invested because you help make all of it. Yeah. And that, so that's that's kind of the process, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like um, it's kind of the flip side of game masters who you know have to do a lot of prep work. It sounds like instead you have to be very open to fly by the seat of your pants kind of um, um, improvisational storytelling. The, there's two things that happen is that one thing. So, you know, I was a guy who I always over prep because I'm an overachiever in that way. Like I, I, I feel guilty. Like it, it would kill me if I was like, I have nothing to work with. Mm. Um, I'm obviously a lot better at improv now than I was when I started because I've done a lot of it now especially in con setting, I have to fly by the seat of my pants. I can't prepare for your game, but I don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Um, but but if it's your group and your people or in a setting where you're going to see them again, you know, you, you can make characters just like anything else. And I have this tool called vision rolls where we say, okay, well, the first milestone is, uh, let me look at the list here, run the mob. Hmm. All right. So then it, there's a couple questions like, all right, guys. So one at a time as players, what's stopping us from running the mob? And then they kind of get to volunteer a little information. It's a way as a player to kind of be like, well, I like this if, if the story went like this way. And then I go, okay, well, you think that uh, what's stopping us from running the mob is that the mob family's in jail. Okay, well, you look at your character sheet. What would your character try to do if you wanted to get them out of jail? And then what you're really doing is you're fueling ideas for the other players and the game master. And the game master is also kind of getting to gauge your expectations. Like if you all talk about fighting, well, then my next session should probably have you guys fighting your way through the police or whatever to get the mob guys out or vice versa. Um, but then if you're all talking about how you're going to break break it down, like you're going to do a heist, you know, like how you're going to trick everyone to not be at the right places where they need to so that you can sneak in and get that person out of there with no one being wiser. I also know that. So what I'm getting is the players offer some information um, in like 30 seconds each. And then I would do that at the end of my character creation. And I would use that to help fuel my prep. So at least I even have directions to go in for the next session. 
so that's kind of a cool thing too is that I did know being a prep guy myself that like cool if you don't want to fly by the seat of your pants because that information they give you is usually enough to run that game or get it running um, you can take that information and pour it into your next session because it'll only make your life easier and of course for some game masters who are um, uncomfortable with running certain types of games they can have you know push their tell their players okay i know you guys want to run a thing run run something where you're all kind of evil not the game I yeah. want, not the story i want to tell i can't tell that story you sure guys, one of you guys can run that game but i can't run that one and you know, it's, it's kind yeah, of a lot of back people, and forth yeah sure a lot of people give me uh that too they're like well pete business wise this is a horrible game because you made a game that the players don't need the book and i was like do you know how many role-playing games where people actually, the players need the book. I mean, the game masters need the book. They usually, especially in the days of PDF, they share those PDFs. Um, hopefully what I'm doing here is I'm making a game with all these tools that really make it easy for anyone to be the game master. Yeah. And the only things that actually hurt you in some ways, like maybe like what you said, is is the traditional mindsets that you might come into it from how you normally prep. Like your normal procedure is now different. But if you take a, a look at the game and how it's designed, I think you'll find that the tools are just beneficial. They'll just make your life easier because as adults, it's hard enough to schedule games. It's hard enough to find time to prep. And then you shouldn't be dreading your next gaming experience. You should be loving it. And I want you as the game master to focus on like helping the players have an excellent time and the story getting to points that make them feel like they're accomplishing something. So I try to also um, pull out a lot of the stuff that kind of bogs us down. Like, you can make up these challenges as they arise in the story or as you need to get to a point in the story. Um, you can do it on the fly because that 1 to 10 scale, it makes everything like, cool, just here you go. And the strategy comes in, like, the, your power gamers are going to make characters. What's cool is the power gaming in this game is about making everything in the ideal situation for your character to succeed. So it's really cool. It's like the craftsmanship of the story of moving your characters in the right place at the right timing and the right pieces, which is kind of like real life, right? We're trying to make the ideal situation for most of our attempts at things because we know, well, hopefully we are, right? That the stuff we're good at, at least the other stuff we're just bumbling through like everyone else. But hopefully the game also gets people to kind of like think about who I am and what I'm trying to do and how I get there with the tools that I have. Um, because the, the strategies are fun to you because some people, you know, at most games, like you talk Pathfinder, like, cool, I have stealth and I have, uh, I don't know if they call it persuasion. And maybe and you obviously have your fighting, but it's cool. It's like in this game that like bad things, disadvantage stuff in a lot of games like mooching or, you know, getting hurt could be your strategy. You don't have to be persuasive. You could be, you know, charismatic, convincing, um, pretty, ugly. I've had people who are like socially awkward. And they make that work to be persuasive, you know, because they I stand around and I just leer at the person or I, I hover above them so long that they leave, you know, but it's also neat because the players kind of find ways of making them useful because, again, it's like a, a nail to a carpenter, you know, like every you fix a nail by pounding it in with a hammer. So they start getting that those different visions of like, OK, well, that's how I would succeed. These would be my strategies. This is how I would get what I need in the world. So this I, this is an incredible system I, I'm seeing here because it, it's uh, there's an ambiguity about it which I think is really important to storytelling. You know, a lot of times the as you're saying, you know, these these very contrived RPGs like like um, Pathfinder, Iron Gods, whatever you have, 
they're really focused on the creator's creativity. And this one is more of an open-ended, what's your creativity? Talking to the players, basically. What, what are your goals? What are your plans? And I'm thinking that this gets into something deeper than just the surface level questions that we might ask or pursue in a in any game you know because if you go take it apart you know this idea of being uh the hero that gotham needs there's something behind that need that that pushes them in that direction so you can kind of you know i I don't i don't see the the role of the game master in this case as being a psychoanalysis but at the same time There's something behind that, and if you wanted, so I think one of the points that Josue was making was the idea of so you're, everybody's going to have their goal that they put in, but then you vote on the goal or the dream that's going to be the main dream. But then, if you extrapolate what that means and you kind of come to some kind of conclusion as to how everybody's dream connects, you might even get a more substantial dream for everybody as a team. Um, so it just seems like an, an incredible opportunity to learn more about other people. Like you were talking about these these guys who are running a business together. You learned a lot about yeah. them just through the course of this game. Even though the game itself was a fictional world, it was in some way mirroring their, their daily experience or their own ideas, their wow. own motivations. So, That's a real interesting take. Yeah, I, I sure did. And I, I didn't really think of it like that. But yeah especially like you said, as a therapist or something, like how much you can really kind of see in, because that's the cool thing too, is that these games, you're, you're, you can be in a safe and, you know, like pleasurable environment. Like you could be in the comfort of your office with drinks and at the table and nice chairs, or you could be at a game store with your friends or at home or on the kitchen table or at the couch. You know, it's just nice that it can be a safe environment, whether it's friends or family or therapists or counselors. Or I, I spent a time working at the Boys and Girls Club when I was in college. And, you know, like we had recreation coordinators or sometimes the teens would do things with like the, the cadets or preteens. And, you know, I mean, what's cool is that these could it, it could be anywhere where people can be OK with being maybe vulnerable or being honest or opening up. And especially when you have that, um, I'm sure the Wheelhouse work, Workshop guys uh, mentioned the, you know, associating, disassociating, like knowing when, like. We want you to feel like you're the character. And sometimes we want to be like, hey, you know, it's your character, not you. Right. Um, yeah, that's, you know, that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I'm it, yeah. really glad you brought up Wheelhouse Workshop because they do it like they are experts. I love right? those They guys. are experts at what they do. And I've never been uh, a GM or a DM. By the way, I keep thinking I want to say Dream Master. I like, I like the idea of it being a DM. <laughs> um, oh, I like that too. That's yeah. I, um, I'm trying to go to guide right now, <laughs> but I, I'm, not, I'm not torn from it. I just, you know, like the average general person i think they're like you're the game master you know it's almost like this it's fine in the game culture but outside the game culture and not to mention gm a lot of times like what you're my boss you're my general manager you know so i'm trying to yeah i'm like hey guide you know yeah that's you like game master i'm like maybe the guide because especially in my game really that's what you're doing is like you're the guy who read the rules so you're guiding through the process you're guiding them through their story that they've kind of set the key moments for you're the guide is in your like their guide through the world as you act out all the other characters and the you know and the places and you know what i mean yeah. so it seems like pretty fitting and not too adversarial authoritative oh yeah yeah and and you know as a like my licensure is as a counselor right and a counselor a guide yeah. right like that that there's a parallel there right like you, you think mm-hmm. of a counselor as someone who who can guide you towards your goal and you know like people I don't think therapy, you know, going to a therapist is the only way 
to achieve your goals. That's why I think that there's something very potentially therapeutic about this game because the same thing that I'm doing in my practice, which is I'm telling someone, what is your goal? And I'm trying to help them visualize what that would look like and what the obstacles might be and how we can overcome them. Yeah. I mean, this could happen exactly. organically with friends in a very safe space where you, that's what's on your mind. Like the idea of how relatable it can be is like the potential there is really great. I can see a lot of stories coming from that where if I don't have to be a fictional character, I can just be me or something that's very, very close yeah. to me. I'm, I'm actually doing, you know, what people come to me for, which is I'm trying to guide them through the process of achieving that goal, fulfilling that dream, overcoming those obstacles. And in a way, it's like the shop talk. Like, I can't do what the Wheelhouse Workshop guys do, right? Because I've never been, um, right, the, yeah. that GM, DM. Mm -hmm. um, but a game like this kind of facilitates that, right? So, like, if I wanted to do, I mean, I'm curious what they would think, you know, uh, about me saying that too. But, like, I can't do it like they can, but this would, this is, like, I don't know. I feel like, like I could do it with this if we were going to go the RPG route instead of just talk therapy. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's awesome because that's ultimately what we want to do too. It's like I said, I think we're all story experts. We, we, we all deserve a lot more credit than we give ourselves. The big part is that, you know, I mean, it, being the game master or the guide sometimes is like a formidable task because you're like, they're the guy who read all those books and studied and prepared all these encounters. And then, you know, sometimes when you play the game, you're like, oh, wow, and they have all these voices and they have all these, they're so good on their feet. And you'd be surprised if you put yourself in those shoes, how well you do. And the fact is that the, everyone at the table, nobody wants to have a bad experience. Nobody came to have like a boring time. Right. They all want you to succeed. And, and, once you get out of that mind space, like, you know, am I, am I, am I doing great or am I sucking? You know, once you get past that, you realize that, like, we're all here to have a good time and you can really feed off of one another. I know so many people that once they start running games, they love it because they don't, re they forget how easy it is and they lose track of time is actually the problem because they, they just start flowing with everybody mm -hmm. and they're like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I should eventually get us to the story conclusion or something <laughs> or the fun part. And then the session's over and you played for four hours and you're like, we didn't do anything. Well, it was fine, <laughs> but you know. yeah. So the role-playing playing game dilemma. I hope that my game also, because it has a finite end, and because it has these digestible sections, which are the milestones, maybe it might fit. I I would. I'm not going to ever say that it fits in the therapist hour. You know, I mean, it could. It just you know, it's not reliable. But the idea is that it does fit in more people's schedules who might be like, you guys played on Saturday for ten hours or six hours or eight hours, and they're like, that's ridiculous. Or the people who are like, hey, when does D&D &D end? And you're like, well, um, yeah, I don't know. And then your wife's like, well, I can't play that. I can't like not know how many Saturdays this year I'm not going to have. You know. So the idea is that one with the goal of the game, there's a built-in end. And with the digestible milestones, the game suggests that if you play a longer game, each one of these is a session. Or, of course, if you play a really short game, you know, you're going to do maybe two a session and knock this out in like two games. But they're not also games that are probably like, you know, six or eight hours. They're going to be games that like are three or four hours. And hopefully, you know, like if you had the therapist hour, you know, the first time you'd make the characters in Dream Map and do that whole thing. And then the second one would be that first milestone. And then maybe the third one would be that next milestone. If, if that character had, you know, this is one player and it had multiple milestones. But, but hopefully it's digestible then. And people have a goal that like all the players know, hey, this is what we have to get to to finish this chapter. So the players are kind of with you. Like, the game, the guide, and the players all know where we need to get, 
And if you know the allotted amount of time, you know, like, okay, well, we get two hours. So let's get this done. So it, it's very accessible. And, and I'm, I just had this kind of uh, memory of I used to study – I used to have this idea that I was going to – uh, study uh, psychedelics as part of my research uh, for my PhD. And uh, one of the things that we might have researched was DMT, which they call the businessman's high because the idea is that, you know, in one hour you can have the experience that you could have with LSD, which would take 12 hours or something. So I'm seeing kind of a parallel <laughs> with uh, Dream Chaser as the businessman's <laughs> RPG. So that you, uh, so you, you, on your lunch break, awesome. you can play. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to commit to, you know, a two-year campaign in Iron Gods or something. Nothing yeah. well, wrong we're with that, to fight by too the way. That, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, have your fun. Like, whatever that is, go have your fun. But it's it's just – we also know that there, there are some things that hold role-playing games back from the general populace. And there's a lot of people who aren't gaming – whether it's board games or card games, like I just want more people to be in the tabletop gaming. Yeah, you know, like so. If I can, if they if they play, because I found D and D through playing Magic the Gathering. Okay. Right? The cards got me into the store, and then when I was there to play games with just people who would come in, because that's where people came to play. Before you know it, the D and D game that was always the table next had somebody leave early, and they're like, "Hey, can you play?" And I was like, "I guess, whatever." <laughs> and then that led to the crossover, you know, and just the same way that. Board games get people to the game where they're like, hey, what are those guys doing over there who are standing up talking about like they're, you know, why is that guy talking all folksy? You know, <laughs> did his did his voice just slip? I thought he was folksy and now he sounds Puerto Rican. But, you know, it gets them there and then they start, you know, seeing that it's OK for one. Right. Like, hey, if you guys are all dressing up and playing. That's cool. If that's your thing. And if I want to sit over and play card games, great. Or, you know, um, so I. Yeah, I don't know. This is this is just a really exciting game. I'm looking forward to trying it out. Uh, if if the listeners were really excited about this, like we are now, where would they go yeah. to have a look at this? I, I get the feeling that we can still purchase at this point, even though it was a Kickstarter. Yeah, you sure can. This is still a great time to purchase because um, you're still going to get all the rewards that the Kickstarter backers get. You know, you wait till August or when you find it at a local convention, you're you're going to get, you know, hey, here's your copy. Okay. <laughs> and it's not going to be like, oh, cool, bracelet or dice or here's some PDF extra supplements. And um, yeah, and that's one of those things Brian mentioned, like, hey, you know, some, some groups are going to be like, hey, let's do a sci-fi game. Like, they're just going to walk mm-hmm. in. Or they're going to be like, hey, I like the Dresden Files. You guys like the Dresden Files. Let's make a game within the Dresden Files. You know, and that's cool. Like, do whatever, you know, that, it's cool that it has the flexibility. Yeah. Like, um, but for those people who are interested and really want to get in early, you can go to imagininggames.com. That's my website. Uh, that's the website for Dream Chaser and, you know, the game company. But at the top of the banner, there's an announcement bar. And that you just click it and it takes you to Backerkit. And Backerkit lets you pre-order anything you want. Um, so we have like art prints. Uh, one of the things that really helped the game be successful is we have really great art. You know, oh, yeah. um, the, the book itself is full color art, and it's going to be on almost every page. So that when people open this book, they're going to be like, "Oh, I can read that." It's what a hundred pages, and look, it looks like a picture book. <laughs> you know, I want people to have that experience. Uh, um, there's going to be tons of examples. Obviously, that's that's one of the things this game needs is a lot of imagery to get you inspired. You know. Um, if you get in now, we have those PDF supplements. Like there's uh, one that focuses on like romance and romantic comedy stories. One that's about action packed and like adventure stories. Uh, one that's like otherworldly and modern myth stories. So all these are is they're, they're going to be like supplements that just have examples 
of everything you could want, like dreams, milestones, like strategies, belongings to help you kind of get in that field. You know, like if you were playing a Kung Fu game, you know, and people are like, well, I don't watch any Kung Fu movies. You, you, you hopefully just everything you could want in Kung Fu would kind of be there in like the martial arts supplement or something. So you get a few of these now that you'd later have to buy. So that's cool too. Yeah. I was just looking at the uh, backer kit stuff and right next to rom-com PDF supplement is cyberpunk PDF supplement. Mm-hmm. And that ladies yeah. and gentlemen is the very definition of range. um we we also have like there there's some games that we recorded that are just audio only unfortunately that are on the website there's a media page at imagininggames.com and you can listen to actual plays you can see how we make characters you know how we actually made characters not me talking about it Mm -hmm. um there is a there's at least one youtube video but it's very old it's back from october so the rules have changed but yeah but so there there's resources there if you kind of want to get an idea of how they do it one of my favorite games, uh, the actual plays there were the goal was like, oh, save the moon, save the, save the earth. So it was kind of like if you save the moon, you'll save the earth. Save the cheerleader, and, save the world. Like, I, that's the, what I heard. Save the cheerleader, <laughs> save the world. Yeah, and they played on it. And but the first milestone was that someone was like, I want to get so and so to get a prom with me, and it was like, okay, well that's interesting. And then the the second one was like, I want to be in a zero gravity sword fight. <laughs> So obviously we needed that. That's a quick so switch. what's cool is that if you listen to it, what's really neat is how like this first milestone kind of became this dating simulator. And it was really funny how the players all spin things and got involved and twisted it around. And like the guy who the guy who wrote the milestone, who said my character needs to get my so-and-so to go to prom with me. He was like, if you guys told me yesterday that we all want to get together today and play a dating simulator, I would have told you guys I was busy. <laughs> but but it, it was such a great story. And uh, like one guy like made a focus group, and that's kind of how he helped influence the dating. <laughs> he was like feeding in information through somebody's earpiece while he was pr- uh, simultaneously uh, like running a focus group. And it was just so ridiculous and off the wall. I had a blast. And it was a neat experiment to see how this – what sounded like this sci-fi game, the first chapter – had like a dating simulator in it, you know? So we're going to mix. So, so ladies and gentlemen, today for our game, we're going to mix 90210 with Ender's Game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the neatest thing that I really like is that like a good example of a dream um, is like, think of like the big Lebowski. Like what's the dream of that game to get my rug back. But, <laughs> that's but, true. But I think mean, really about what that story together. ended up being. And that's kind of what we're saying here is that like, Sometimes I'll hear, I'll hear a story and it'll be like, okay, well, you know, become a god. And then the players will all be like trying to figure out which order the milestones go in. And I'll be like, don't forget that, okay, if we started at the beginning where it's like you were at the top of the mountain and you fell from grace, this would be your story. Mm-hmm. Like slaying the dragon doesn't always have to be the end. It could be the beginning of our redemption story because you were this great hero and then you, you fell, maybe Beowulf, right? Mm-hmm. And then many years go by. And you have to become the guy that you once were. Can you be that guy again? And then that becomes the story. You know, so it's really neat when you move these around in unconventional ways. You're like, oh, this is how the Big Lebowski happened. Or Fargo. Or Burn After Reading. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I, I like that you went So it's really cool, too, I think, films. for the, the, the story builder in you or, like, the, um, the screenwriter or the novelist. Like, one of the early games I ran, which I haven't seen enough people do it, but I love the concept, is, like... Dude, if you have a novel in your head, you could throw it as the dream of our game. 
let's see how the players decide what they want to get out of that story and what story unfolds. You have an idea for your, like, you know, a comic, a TV show or a comic book or anything. Like, it's really cool that you could throw it in this game and it could be like a story builder exercise, you know? Yeah, and if you can't get everyone... So there, there's a lot of cool things. Yeah, and if you can't get everyone together, you could always do Pulp Fiction. One, yeah. one, guy, one guy shows up, the rest of them can't. Well, let's just do your part of the story Do little today. separate stories, vignettes, yeah. <laughs> and every okay. now and then, two or three yeah. of them can get together and, hey, you guys are all going to meet now. So, so Peter, yeah. I, I'm really excited about this game. I hope that people will get excited about it and uh, go to... Uh, Kit backer back kitter backer kit um, backer kit. I was yeah. you, can go, you can go to the backer kit from their main imagininggames.com. Yes, or if you know if you're Google savvy, you could just Google the Kickstarter. See that we did amazing back in February. Uh, you oh, know, three hundred and sixty percent funded, funded in the first day. You know, it did great, especially for a game where everyone was like, "What's the setting?" You know, because that's what we teach consumers right. is like role playing game. What's it about? What's the setting? Sell me on being, you know, cowboys and aliens or, you know, uh, cyberpunk uh, dystopian adventurers in the future that are like being squashed by the corporate man. And my game was like, it's what you want it to be. And that is an awesome thing now that it's been validated. But you could also see how a lot of people are like, but I don't know what I want. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So so it was interesting that uh, it helps the good word of mouth, good art. And when people realize that once you say the story, you come up with that first pitch, like, this is about create a perfect weapon. Suddenly, everyone's brainstorming just gets lit up, you know? If you say this is – like Deadlands could be a game about like cowboys and trains and stuff. But once you say that the goal is we're going to rob a train, then the players start brainstorming. That's specific enough that you really start firing at all cylinders. Sometimes saying, hey, we're going to be cowboys doesn't tell us exactly what we're going to do. And we're all still kind of like, okay, cool. I understand what we look like, but I don't know what we're supposed to do. So I like that the goal actually focuses our kind of story building. The next thing you know, you've made the second episode of Firefly. Yeah. The train job. That's right. The train job. <laughs> All right. Um, we've, had, we've had that game too. Uh, a, m- a month ago, there was a game that was like, bring Firefly back on TV. <laughs> so oh, I like that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm Renew Firefly for more episodes, I think, was the actual dream. But yeah. That's cool. And somebody played Jane, who was years later... <laughs> Who went into a boardroom and had his like it was dressed up as Jane and brought his like fake gun I forgot what it was called Vera. and dropped it on the table in the middle of a board meeting he was like we're gonna remake Firefly <laughs> 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 it was a prop but you know it's just really funny that that happened yeah his gun's name was Vera sorry guys I could talk all day that's all right um, we're just really excited to hear about it and uh, you know I knew when I saw that you were posting in uh, the RPG group that you were gonna be a good choice to get on here and talk about the game because you were excited about the possibilities of this game and that's that's the kind of people I want on the show is people who are excited about their game so it's okay to talk a lot about it because it's it sounds like it's fantastic and and hopefully yeah. uh, hopefully people will take a look at it yeah. Welcome to the inaugural Rolling for Change Tabletop 20 Questions. You... Yay! <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. All right, some simple rules. Insert applause. <laughs> yeah, insert applause, please. All right, so here are the rules. <laughs> Our panel, the three of you, have 20 yes or no questions that you can ask me. I will only answer yes or no. So be as specific as you can. So if you say something like, does it have cards? Remember, that could be a collectible card game, or it could be a, a game could just have cards. 
you know? So be as specific as you can. And um, the one thing that you do know is that it's a tabletop game to keep with the theme okay. of the show. <laughs> okay. Other right. than that, anything goes. Ask me, remember, <laughs> only yes or no questions. I will try to, to, so if I do not know the answer, I will let you know, and that question will not count against you. So you have 20, 20 questions to guess the game. Okay? So I have a game. Okay. I have information about it. And you will ask questions to try to figure out what it is. So whenever you guys are ready, you may let's start let's asking. Do it. Let's let Brian start. Okay. First question. Is there a board associated with this game? Yes. Okay. Pete? Now I'm thinking, right? I was like, is there dice? But if there's a board, there's probably dice. So let's see if we can say, um, ooh, are there cards that get stacked on the board? Yes. Good. Okay. Um, you know, I could, I could ask something really specific and get closer to the answer very quickly. Do okay. it. Hosue, is this a game you have played? Ooh. Ooh. Yes. That's not okay. going to help you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you okay, thought okay. it would help you, but it's not going to help you. I, it, it might. I know enough about, about games to actually think this is a useful question. Are there dice associated with this game? Yes. Ooh. Okay, that narrows it down a, bit, a good bit, actually. Okay. Is it a cooperative game? Yes. Oh, that's Ooh, five. Okay. I didn't expect them to say yes. That really helps. That yeah, that limits it quite a lot. I think. Um, does <laughs> we need the Jeopardy does music? This game, this does this game have superheroes in it? No. Are there asymmetrical powers in the game? <laughs> the, uh, define asymmetrical powers. Does each does each player <laughs> play a specific character that has an ability? Yes. And the abilities D are different, all different separate abilities. abilities. Yeah, different abilities. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Wow, what do I want to ask next? Okay. Um, how, oh, you said yes or no questions. Um, how many questions are we up to? Seven, eight? Uh, you ha you've used seven already. Okay. Okay. Is it a worker replacement game? No. Okay. Does this game have a storytelling aspect to it? I would say yes. Okay. Ryan? Is this game in the top 20 games on Board Game Geek? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot to say at the beginning. I can't see you guys, so I'm hoping you're not looking up anything online. That would, that would kind of be cheating. <laughs> That that would be cheating, yes. But I know the top twenty. I, Brian I know the just top, got disqualified. I know the top twenty board games, cooperative board games on BGG. 
So okay. I don't know if it's in the top 20 cooperative, but I believe <laughs> it is not in the top 20 overall. And since I'm not absolutely sure, I will let that one slide. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I could check, but... <laughs> is this game newer than 2016? That's a very good question. No. That's 10. Okay, so we're halfway there. We're going to figure this out, though. Um, does this game have any hidden identities in it? I do not believe so. I don't think so. So Okay. So, in other words, it's pure cooperative. Yeah. Okay. That was was that considered a question or was that no? Those two, those, those two are one. Clarification of your question. <laughs> okay. All right. Hmm. It is Brian's turn. Yes. Just making sure. I'm watching the thinker face. <laughs> No, I hear him. I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, I'm trying, trying to pay attention and think because it's so hard. <laughs> um, uh, Hostway, are if we guess what the game is, are those questions? Do they count as questions? No. So you cannot ask what the game is. So you have one guess as as to what the game is. Ooh, oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I'm playing by the rules that I. That I know. Yeah, the European yes, rules. European <laughs> rules. <laughs> okay, you so have one guess. If you if you guess the wrong game, you lose. What, what was? Let's see. What was? The, what was the? What was the year question? There's one about time. Yeah, he asked um, if it was newer than 2016. Okay. The so answer was no. That answer was no. Are there expansions for this game? Oh. Yes. Okay. All right, I, I feel like we need a huddle, right? We need a huddle, which is like, so <clears throat> what ideas do we, like, could it be like Mansions of Madness? I, I thought about that one. I thought, I, I went to Arkham Horror also. Um, yeah. I, I'm at Flashpoint Fire Rescue, potentially. Flashpoint. Because there are dice. Another possibility. Um, we know it can't be like the deserts. I, I was thinking of Agents of Smirsh, but he said kind of story elements. And I'm like, Agents that would be obviously story elements. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, but that has hidden roles, right? I don't think Agents of Smirch does. I See, I haven't played, so I don't know. This is that was new to me. Um, but remember, this is one that Hostway has played, <clears throat> and yeah, I think uh, I don't think he's even heard of Agents of Smirch. So. I don't like your to tone. I don't like Hostway. your tone, Woody. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what I played. It? Oh, I think I do. I'm trying anyway. Whose turn? Oh, I think it's Pete's turn. Uh, did Brian ask a question? Oh, sorry. We, I was I was calling. The yeah, huddle. yeah. But I, I, I don't have any. I don't have a lot. Does the game have tiles? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> didn't want to tell so us that one. So we've got a board and we've got tiles. Uh, and dice, and, and, and dice, cards. And cards. Um, 
I'm liking Arkham Horror or I said Arkham Horror. <laughs> Arkham Horror or maybe Betrayal at the House on Haunted Hill. At the end, you may yell at me because of how I no, interpreted some of these questions. Betrayal but. can't be it because Betrayal would have a hidden character. Yeah. So, and what about Arkham doesn't have hidden characters, right? Like where you play a role that's not... Okay. Um... Yeah, what did you say, Josue? So the section after this is how we all attack yes. you? Yes, <laughs> okay, Guaranteed. 20 questions game followed by the beating of Josue. <laughs> all right. Follow-up question on the cards. Are the cards part of actual gameplay, or are they things that keep reminders and character information? That's not a yes or no question. Okay, okay. That's good. Are, well, I'm, I'm clarifying. Are the characters something that's part of gameplay? I'm sorry, say it again? Are the are the cards something that is part of gameplay? Something you keep in your hand and play for an action? Yes. Okay, so it's not Flashpoint, because that doesn't have that. No, that doesn't have that. Okay. I'm going to defer my question if someone else sure. has one. Um, I don't have a, a game that I know that it could be. I'm afraid of this it question because me. it may just be a wasted question, but I feel like I have to ask it because I've, I'm going down a particular path here. Do the tiles make up the board? Yes. I mean, does Twilight Imperium have a story element? Well, it's not. No, Twilight but it's, Imperium it's not cooperative. Also isn't cooperative. No. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the tiles make up the board. And it's cooperative. And it has expansions. You know, I still like Betrayal because, right, what about the traitor mechanic? But he said there's maybe, a maybe that could be a hidden character. Well, but he also said there but he was said, pure cooperative. Not, yeah, it, there's no hidden mechanic. characters is what, what it came down okay, to. Okay, so. yeah. <clears throat> you have a question, Brian? Is this game set in the Cthulhu mythos? No. That's 15. Holy. Okay. Wow. Okay. We're, we're, we're getting really close here, guys. You said no superheroes. What other mythos could we use? Um, you know, earlier I was thinking this. Let's see if we know us. So is this game older than 2014, the initial copy, like the initial yes. game? Okay. Is the theme of this game set outside? Be more specific. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, You're getting there, though. That's good. Okay, so what you're doing in the game, are you doing it outside or are you doing it well, so that's that's the question. Are you doing it outside? Not the game itself, but within the theme of the game. Does the story take place outside? I'll give you. So it can. It can. Yep. There's a there's a freebie. That counts. Yeah, it's not a yes or no. Yeah. I gave you. I gave uh... you. A better better than a yes or no. So you say, I my rabbit hole is, is uh, empty now. Uh, That's 17, Brian. by the way. 17. So we got one each mm. left, and we have to come up with an answer. 
Yeah. Does anybody have? I mean, the, uh, huddle again, right? <laughs> sure, huddle sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Does anybody have any thoughts of what it is now, or did we disqualify all of our answers? Well, I, I'm not sure if I just disqualified Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. Yeah, because they don't have expansions. Well, he may view Forbidden Desert as an expansion it's of Forbidden expansion. Island. It's I know it's not. Game. Okay, fine. No, 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 no. Um, an expansion. I don't like your tone, the original game. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you're not part of this huddle. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. Uh, Brian? These are probably our Hail Mary questions this Yeah, point, they really are. If we have any Is left. this game horror-themed? Yes. That's 18. Brian and thinks the way I want to an do answer. it is you get 20 questions, and at the end of, after the 20, you can guess the game. Is this game produced by Cool Mini or not? No. <laughs> no, it is not. And you just took one of our other it's questions. 19. He, that's fine. He can, that's, that he can be no? mine. No. He said no. Oh, All right, so uh... horror themes, cooperative, older than 2014, has expansions, cards, dice, but not but not Cthulhu. sound story but elements. Yeah, uh, outside kind of. And it does <laughs> well, have oh. it does have asymmetrical player powers. Um, okay, is so we got this, one more. Is you guys aren't looking game... anything up, are you? No no, 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 no. We are just racking our brains. I am not looking at <laughs> is anything. Is this game um, Asian-themed? No. That's 20. That's 20. Holy crap. Okay. So it's not ghost stories. No. Well, that's good. Uh, but so, I am, I the am, game uh, developed the by game. Guillotine Games you... in 2012 is... Zombicide. That is Zombicide. Cool Mini or not. What's that? That was produced by Cool Mini or not. <laughs> is that Cool Mini or not? That's the one I that's the one I told you it was. I mouthed Zombicide. Oh, I which didn't was say made by mouthing. Cool Mini or not. <laughs> I don't have Zombicide. It didn't oh oh Cool Mini or not. It did not say that on Board Game Geek. <laughs> okay. Alright. You're disqualified. <laughs> Get out I of had here. The game. Now you can <laughs> yell at me. It was, cool, it, it was Zombicide. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Because Woody will back oh, that wait, up. What I mouthed him. Uh... I think it's zombie side. <laughs> and that's what, what I asked. Is it only a produced by Cool Mini or not? Hosway, <laughs> <laughs> you said there was something along the way that you thought might, uh, you know, at the end surprise us. What did you think? Oh, it well, was? when you mentioned the tiles, and then, but later on, Woody, Woody clarified, do the tiles make up the board? So I was like, yeah. I, I was, I was a little worried about how that one might be interpreted. <laughs> well, whatever you said, it was it was kind of inside, kind of outside. I was like, oh well, obviously it's well. That know. one killed the Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you can be on the street or you can be in a building. Yeah. That's what I was almost positive that it was Zombie Side because the tiles make up the game. You're inside and outside. You have cards you can play that are part of your weapons okay. and stuff. Yep. Yeah. All right. So Brian, you you would have got it. So I'm gonna have to give it to you as the special guest. I'm gonna say you won. <laughs> <laughs> you guys won and lost. You're here for Brian. <laughs> Yay. 
Josue, that's and another. As a result, sorry. you sorry, get sorry. an entire year's <laughs> supply of Starkist tuna. Is that Starkist? That's actually not bad. <laughs> Because you're going to need that while you're running from zombies. Because I don't know anything about zombicide. But I imagine that tuna lasts a long time. And, in the can. and those that's cans. And if you go to the grocery it's store like that's now can. empty, you might find cans. Yep. So there you go. So I picked a game that was still, you know, that was popular enough that people knew. One of the expansions is still on the top 100 on Board Game Geek. So yeah. I figured you guys would know what it was. Yeah. That's a really popular game. I really game. have to get my hands on um, Black Plague. Because okay. it's basically yeah. a retheming of it set with sword and sorcery and zombies excellent <laughs> yes please thank you shut up and take my money except i don't have any money because i'm a teacher <laughs> so all right close. so for the future we will have to talk about um kind of like because some of these games were published by multiple companies over the years and there's all this extra stuff but yeah so maybe yeah it, it was brought to america by cool mini or not which i know because they're atlanta based and i know a couple guys <laughs> who work for them Poor Jose. He's gonna need to Google the whole time to like answer the questions. Guys, I have a spreadsheet. He's gonna okay, like, with all the hold information. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Read your subreddit. All Little right. did you know, good job, you're guys. Good job. Me with an encyclopedic knowledge of board games. No, that's awesome. Uh, I, I like the idea that Josue yeah. does it because Josue is not as aware of board games as as uh, you and I and and possibly Pete. Um, so yeah. it, it's it's exciting. Um, that was a lot of fun. It was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so, so we'll continue uh, offering games here at the end of our shows. So we're pretty much at the end of our show here. And I, I guess uh, just quick talk about uh, where we're at at the end of the show. Is there anything you learned? Is there anything you gained? What do you walk away with? And let's maybe start with Hostway for this one. No, I just want to thank Pete for coming on the show, talking about his game and like congratulations again on on a successful kickstarter and i cannot wait to to check thanks, it out thanks man thank yeah. you yeah yeah that's exciting yeah um i'm definitely i mean as much as i provided a kind of devil's advocate concern questions um it that's, that's the kind of the role i typically play anyways devil's advocate. no and thank you for yeah. that i mean I wish I would have gave you more time to hit me with more. <laughs> Sorry, no, that's the natural tendency to be like, "Hey, wait about here's something." You yeah, know? I'm definitely going to be picking that one up because I do like the um, the uh, fly by the seat of your pants style game yeah. game mastering. Even yeah. though right now I'm running a game that's very scripted, um, yeah. most of my game mastering experience from the past has has been just making stories up on the fly, and that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. We didn't talk about it, but yeah, you know, the one of the side things that you guys could all appreciate is that I, I also don't like the tendency that we're leaning more and more towards like people taking their entertainment passively. Like, you know, you're scrolling through your phones, you're not reading, you're just like looking at headlines, you're watching shows, but you're doing it while you're, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on people's phones, but you know, while you're on your phones or Facebook, you know, like we play games that like, we don't really want to read the rules but we're just kind of like going through the motions. So I did really want, I felt like we could use a little bump in something that was more proactive, that hopefully is something you were more engaged in and participating in. And yeah, I, I really, because I think that we need more games that are making people have to be proactive for better or worse. Yeah. Like, and I want you to feel like you can be creative, like express yourself without people just telling you no, no, no. Because I also think that like, especially in the States, like we are very, um, you know, we're, we're, we don't want to sound stupid. We don't want to look like an idiot. We don't want to put ourselves out there. 
so that we can get trolled. And I, I hope that uh, the game actually kind of helps people feel comfortable doing those sorts of things, being proactive, being creative. I know it's a little work, but, you know, I think it's a skill. I think you can get more creative. You just don't really have to use it too much these days. So, Yeah, you know, kind of here at the end, as I'm kind of looking over the swath of all that we talked about along the show, uh, we're talking about kind of the difference in formalized games that are very specific towards, like in the case of Shop Talk, who's very focused on one particular situation versus something like dream chaser where this is an open-ended thing that can be used in a variety of environments and situations and while shop talk games can be really helpful at setting a tone or setting an intention uh the dream chaser rpg can really open up doors to our own internal dialogue our own creative potentials and it can meet the goals of those more scripted games, I think, if we if it's in the hands of the of a skilled dream guide. Uh, <laughs> so it, I mean, it, it just changes the role. So in, in this case, the dream guide themselves they're using the game as a tool, where the people in the game are using the game as an experience. They experience the game as game. That's that's maybe how it plays out. There's a difference there and being in control versus not being in control. But uh, yeah. Pete, I really want to thank you for coming along, just uh, flying by the seat of your pants here in our show and uh, joining us. Um, I think all of us are going to this go and look into Dream Chaser now. Yeah, it was great. And Brian, it was great meeting you. Josue, you're awesome. Thank you, guys. This is great. Yes, thank you. And thank you guys for listening to Rolling for Change. Uh, we can be contacted at our email address, which is Rolling for Change. No, no, no. It's gamers at Rolling for Change. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a Twitter account, which is at Roll for Change. So if you have ideas, suggestions, you want to be involved in any way, shape, or form, please check in with us. We'd love to hear from you. Once again, thanks so much to my co-hosts, Brian and Josue. You're very welcome. And and thanks to our guest, Pete Petrusha of Imagining Games. Yeah. Chase your dreams. There you go. All right. Keep rolling for change. You've been listening to Rolling for Change, a podcast from the Geek Therapy Network. This has been episode number 10, an interview with Peter Petrusha of Imagining Games about his new game, Dream Chaser, the role-playing game. Our theme music is composed by Rocket Scientists. And you can contact us, gamers, at rollingforchange.com. Our Twitter feed is at rollforchange. We are also part of the Geek Therapy Network Facebook page. And we also have a board game, Geek Guild, so please contact us there. Once again, thanks so much for listening to Rolling for Change. We look forward to future episodes, and we look forward to talking to you. Keep on rolling for change.